Episode 100 of Tactical Crouch. It's me, Kick Tripod, joined with Yiska and Volamel and a very special guest, coach for the Philadelphia Fusion. Coming back for a second time, none other than Christopher. Christopher, welcome back, man. It's the third time, I think. Third? Actually. Is it the third? Am yeah, I miscounting? Yeah. Season. I was here last year, too. Oh, so. man. Always, I'm sorry. Always I'm good at counting. I actually think that this is like episode 104, if I'm being honest, because I think we have an Could episode be. six that never released. It's true. Uh, <laughs> do we have that somewhere still? Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. Mm. Uh, I do. I don't think so. But um, yeah. Anyways, we made it. Hundred. Hundred episodes here, Christopher. Welcome back. Congrats, by the way, on a pretty yes. uh, baller season so far. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It's quite, uh, the, quite the work. I think when I came on at the start of the year, it was before we'd played any games, and I spent the entire time like hyping up, like trying to yeah. sell you on the roster and all the players. So this can kind of be like a I, I told you so. Kick back and relax. Maybe. Like, I told you guys, thought yeah. it was good. Yeah. Well, it yeah, was exactly. worth it all along. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. I, I think mean, I to be fair, I remember. No, I, I remember us being pretty hype on, yeah. on it, right? Like, didn't we talk about Super Team at the yes. start of this? With, with like the caveat being, you know, Sado. You know, we cannot come on a podcast and just like blow powder up your beautiful, you know, like that, that's, that's probably not what you should be doing. No. But uh, yeah, I was, I was already, already admiring that roster from yeah. afar. Can I, can I, John? Can I just hit him with the with the hard hitting question immediately? <laughs> well, that's I you mean, know the my, in, my question in Yiska fashion. Why wouldn't we? Yeah, of course. Is the Philadelphia Fusion currently the best team in the Overwatch League or in Overwatch? No. Ooh. Shanghai. I appreciate the honesty. Shock. And it's not because. Ooh. Okay, here's how here's how it works in sports. To to be the best, you've got to beat the best, right? So okay. until Shock has played big games, which actually matter, like playoff games, which we know they'll come to a new level when they do that, yeah. we can't say we're better than. Like, okay, if we play them in the finals of the May tournament and then we beat them, we'll allow ourselves to call ourselves it then. But until the team has like beaten them when it actually matters, then I, as far as I'm concerned, that team hasn't showed enough weaknesses to take them off top spot. Fair. Interesting. Fair enough, fair so, shock. Do you think Shanghai is better too? You put you guys than, than, than where Earth. you guys are right now. Oh, I don't know. I have shock one, and then whoever beats shock will be the next best. You know, I, I don't. It's it's so hard to judge when you don't even. Mm -hmm. scream, you know, like it's so hard to yeah. judge. It's just guessing. Yeah. Really? That's like, we have built a whole podcast off of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, drat. Shoot. <laughs> and we got away with it for 100 episodes. Know. Somebody <laughs> finally a guest comes on and spits the fact that like, you guys realize none of it matters. Yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, well, 
Oh, man, we got that hard-hitting question out of the way. Still waking up. I had a long weekend. It was a long weekend of games. There was a lot of games being played. Mm, yeah. Um ton of games. Uh well, busy. Let, let's do the normal housekeeping things and we'll get into the we'll get into the uh the conversation with Christopher, look at uh last week's games and you know, just have fun, celebrate 100 episodes. Woo! So, uh big thank you uh first to our patron producers, Battle Crab Pin, Lotion, Charlie L Audio Compass, Pork Chop, Sammy, Kasha 67, Coochie Kopi, Chara, Picasso, Nathan, your misery, and Hunter Tane. Uh, thank you all a ton for supporting the show. Thank you for supporting us over the past 100 episodes. You're all amazing and beautiful in your own, uh, your own way, and we appreciate the hell out of your support, uh, as well as any other of our patrons, any of our subs, any people who have uh, tipped us during the show. Uh, we, whether you are currently doing that or have in the past, uh, we appreciate you a ton and thank you all. Whew. All right, let's. Uh, should we do let's do Christopher questions first? What do you think? Yeah? I like right. it. Okay. Um, Echo. Let's talk about Echo a little bit. Uh so Echo's live now. Technically for what three weeks, but banned the first week. Uh because <laughs> that's she actually wasn't live at that yeah, point. We, so we it wasn't actually a ban. Yeah. Ban was almost perfect because it meant that she was guaranteed to be in the first week we were allowed to be. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so tell us a little bit about, um, your, your thoughts on echo from an overwatch league coach's perspective and, and kind of how it has, uh, changed or hasn't changed how you, how you have to prepare. Well, that's actually interesting. Cause that entire week that we played echo, that was my job. Like I was on individual feedback with Josh when it came to echo. So I spent almost mm -hmm. the entire week only looking at echo POV. Um, my main question before she came out was like, was going to be something along the lines of when Brick came out, the whole infrastructure of Overwatch changed because the dive heroes could never successfully get a target in, right? right? And my question originally was going to be, if Echo is a dive hero, like if she can consistently kill through Brick, then there's no logical reason why dive doesn't become like a the top comp again. Mm -hmm. um, but what we found, like, especially in week one, it was okay because I think McCree and Widow were banned that week. So we're in this situation where a lot of the heroes that were good against Echo were banned. So that was the best she was ever going to be and everyone was playing her. And I think teams found out like pretty fast this week that once the heroes like McCree that shut her down come back on, it's a lot harder to make it work. So to be honest with you, we barely tried this week to even make Echo work. We felt like from a pretty early point that that if teams just ran like consistent hit scan, that it was going to be tough. Like the way Echo is played in general is similar to Far, and that she has to be super smart about the lines of sight she plays. Mm -hmm. Like even when teams were playing Ash that week, if Josh gave her Ash two opportunities to click on you, you have to assume you're going to die. The exact same way a Farah has to completely navigate against the Widow, right? You can't this area of that. Now nah, we we can't go there because if we give an Overwatch League Widow a chance, your head is going to be taken off. And Echo has that same problems. But Echo also has like far better mobility when it's like coming underneath or like moving around walls and stuff. Um mm -hmm. so to me, like the hero's pretty good, like the ult's obviously good. Like I think watching her, she does more damage than almost any hero in the game. Like the, the left clicks into the right clicks into the beam is is pretty ridiculous damage. Um but I'm not super convinced with hit scans being as OP as they are in Overwatch at the moment that that she's gonna necessarily see much playtime going forward, unless the bands are the right for her, you know. Mm. 
so you don't think she's going to be kind of a lock for the end of this month with the the, the kind of May Madness tournament? You know, you can't expect I her mean, to be a staple. The the way I'm operating, at least for now, at the May tournament is that I haven't seen enough reasons to presume that the meta that was pre-Hero bans shouldn't come back. Especially mm. when you only give teams a week of practice, like it's hella risky to not sure. play the comp. Um, the question is, Echo going to be good against that? I dare say if we have an Anna and a McCree, that Echo is going to feel not super great. But also Echoes are good against Reinhardt, so maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. It's hard to say. It's really hard to say. Plus, sure. there's, a, there's a super solid argument that when when Echoes have got more experience and more playtime, they can do stuff that she couldn't do on like first week. Of course, play, yeah. you know. It's it's kind of interesting to see how how many archetypes of comps she was played in. Like, um, they, of course, dive makes sense, but like people were telling me, and to a degree, we I think we saw that as well. Mm -hmm. It's like. There's even poke comps, or uh, I mean, poke pick is played. like a right, yeah. like we that's did Arisa, Sigma, Echo, uh, yeah, Echo. So yeah, so these types of comps coming back. Um, then, uh, what did you? What, what was the DPS you played with uh, Echo? Was it? I really should know this. It was Ash nine times out of ten, I believe. Okay, um, because like I heard a lot of uh, teams were running Hanzo. In, in Asia specifically, it's also wild. Like I asked people on Wednesday and it felt like a lot of people were flip-flopping very late into the week still with these compositions because by the time Overwatch League started, my information had almost switched where wow. suddenly Western teams were running a lot of dive and um, and to like the... the um, the Asian teams were running these, like for instance, Seoul was running a lot of Hanzo, right? Mm, um, yeah, it's it, that that is very interesting, and it, I think these this volatility has only been to that point since Echo has been introduced to just like you know looking at how the weeks of preparation go. Yeah, I I, I have this little saying that I say is like when there's a set of hero bands, it's either it's a clean hero band or it's a dirty hero band, mm. and what I mean by that is like. Some weeks, the, the comp you play on Tuesday or Monday is pretty consistent to where you end the week. The bans made sense as you kind of know what's going to be meta. And then a mm. dirty week is like this Echo one where you're theory crafting 19 different comps and then every day you're throwing that one out. Oh, that comps will bring this one in. And then by like, if you play on Sunday, Saturday night, you're still flipping a coin as to what, what comp you play on <laughs> Sunday. And there's been like various weeks across. Like, I think we had a really nice run. I think the first week, which was like, the first week was horrific, I think, for us, but I'm sure other teams too. Week one was horrific to play because it was so new. And then we kind of had a bit more time, and then we had a few clean weeks. And then I think that, that week where everyone was playing Torb was kind of dirty. I think, at least for us, we made the, we made the decision to play Torb. It might, it might have been in our internal warm-up scrim we decided that we were going to play <laughs> Torb everywhere. Okay? Jesus Christ. So we didn't come in with too much prep for that week. And then we had another few clean weeks, and then Echo was like, like everything. Like, complete mess again. Just to just to be clear, what does that mean? Like, do you actually conceive of the comp and then play it, or have you scrimmed the comp before that you then eventually decided to switch to? What, what do you mean? In sorry? the let's let's for instance take the torp case, right? Yeah. You said you decided very late that you wanted to run the torp. Had you run that in scrims before in that week? Well, well, I, that week was pretty unique because I, I think 
well, I've spoken to you guys about the Torb virus, right? I told you about mm-hmm. this. About how, <laughs> how this week it felt pretty normal. I think that was actually the Chips a week where we had Chips in and we were playing Doomfist yeah. for like three, three or, the first four, three or four days of scrims. It felt like we had a read on it. And then it was either Gladiators or Shock who decided to play Torb. And it was, it was literally a virus that they played it and the other team was like, ah, this shit's good. So then they played it and they multiplied to two teams and depending on when you met a team who'd been infected by the Torb virus, that was what point you you got, oh, oh, we're going to do this. So I think maybe we got it on, on, we played on maybe Saturday and I think we got it on Thursday. So we got it, we got it with enough mm. time. And then on Friday, we're like, nah, we're not going to change our comp. But then every team, like from that first scrim on Friday where we played against the Torb team, every team that we'd been played afterwards had already been infected by it. And then we played another scrum, we lost, and then we're like, okay, yeah, the Torb's pretty good. And we tried the last scrum, we're like, yeah, Torb's pretty good. So we took out Chipsa, and we put in Carpet, and we tried some, like, Sombra stuff. And then that internal scrim, we, I think the players who were on the A team that were starting that week said, why the hell aren't we just playing Torb everywhere? This, this shit's broken. Mm-hmm. Okay, we do it. And then we were like, okay, yeah, fair enough. And then, yeah, we did it. <laughs> Is, uh, is Gypsa doing a, a loan installment for XQC for those subs? Or is it like, is he just going to pay those million subs over time? Or is that... He said the MVP, like, grand final prize pool, he's going to donate that to the XQC when he gets <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Good. It's, it's coming over time. He just hasn't got it quite yet. Yeah. Is is the kind of definitions of the the clean hero pools and the the the, the kind of dirty bands? Do you think that could be more subjective for the teams? Do you feel like some t- some weeks you have like a clean ban and some weeks you know other teams might have a dirty uh-huh. kind of like it's it's different. It, it kind of feels like it's not necessarily up to the coaches, but it's you know who comes up with the correct answer first or the most correct answer, right? Yeah, I think I'm the only person who calls it clean and dirty, so this is like very much I sure. Yeah. I mean, but we'll work um, with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, for sure. Like, I think this week for, with yesterday's games, mm-hmm. we literally we went into okay, we have Monday off, so we went into Tuesday's scrims and we said we're going to play some of the rest of the comps that can work and we're going to try some Sombra Tracer dive. And after one block, we realized okay, dive for us is the way to go. It makes mm-hmm. sense versus Dallas, like as a counter to, to who they who they are. And it was working for us, and, and we literally had an entire week of scrims on the same comp, which is pretty nice normally. Like, you don't often get that luxury. And I'm sure, and I've definitely seen other teams who were differing in between as the week went on, and then eventually they probably... So for us, it felt a really clean week, and then for other teams, it was maybe like a dirty week. Mm, no, that's a good way to put it. It's, it's interesting on exactly how... I, it's, it's kind of been thrown around, especially on the show, like this week feels bad or, or with the performance that they showed, they look like they came to the hero pool late. That was kind of my excuse for soul, you know, with their, their pretty poor week, you know, not too long ago, it felt like they came to the hero, this particular hero pool meta kind of late. And it felt like it was yeah. a dirty kind of hero uh, ban week for them. So it's, it's a, it's a good way to put it. I, th- I think I might, uh, I, think I might steal it. That's a good one. Yeah. <clears throat> so, Okay, we we know a lot of uh, about virology now through this, you know, like <laughs> oh, of course public... we're all amateur virologists. Is that a thing? Is has there ever been like a, a consideration to suppress the R value of your, you know, of your compositions, as in like you keep the the scrim bubble very low and contained, and 
like just like have teams that are consistently good at coming up with meta compositions and leave the other ones high and dry have you even ever entertained something like that or have you thought we, like we, oh, we're clearly not as intelligent as you because that is not even come into our thought process like i think we just <laughs> scrim the best teams like the, yeah i don't know i think okay, that would be still, like nine thousand iq shit to only but, play the, i mean in theory you could you could if we had the luxury of being able to pick and choose each like team we scrim we could pick the innovators they want in two and then like as the week goes on like play against more refined teams but we book our scrims like four weeks in advance of like when we play so it's it's almost impossible to ever yeah. to come up we just we just try and pick the best teams we can each week you know we don't i think so it's good it's, it's definitely good to get a variety across the week because then you yeah. have a higher chance of getting the top virus early on you know you don't want to like self-isolate and then get it later on mm -hmm. you want to try and like embrace the disease as soon as possible and then if you spread the antibodies up Exactly. understand right. the virus you become yeah, immune yeah. to it come saturday yeah yeah herd immunity what i learned from this, this <laughs> what i learned from this is that we gotta shut down shock because they're the super spreaders yeah it might have been gladiators mm. but one of those oh, two teams too they they okay. ate a torb in a somewhere and then it spread you know like <laughs> they were the ones <laughs> they ate a torb <laughs> what a save <laughs> he dove out of that one <laughs> Yeah. Very good. So I well can't done, tell. Boys, well done. Can't tell well done. Being insensitive or just being funny. I think it's I think it's funny. Okay. It's, it's a dark it's time funny. and sometimes dark humor. You know, yeah. it's applicable. We'll see. We'll see how the one star iTunes reviews feel <laughs> <laughs> at the end of it. Uh, all right, cool. Um, May Madness. We're doing. We switched it up here in May, right? Um, we're we're now kind of in this little kind of pseudo stage tournament format uh, for May. Uh, how do you how do you like uh, switching to this format? Is it um, something that uh, you like and like to see more of, or are you more of a give me the long season? Uh, yeah, I I was someone who I was totally okay with the tournament system. I was initially. And maybe I still am. I was kind of murked that that it counted towards regular season games. It felt like there was like one good week on. Well, I suppose the lack of hero bands could catapult you out. Like, obviously, mm. I'm biased because I'm now in a situation where I want the. Re I don't even want a playoffs. You know, I just want it to be like the Premier League. Whoever has the most points at the end of the season wins. <laughs> just wins. Yeah. yeah. So, so obviously, my as many. As important as the regular season can be, I'm always going to push and advertise for that. But I definitely think that the concept of, like, they, I think the argument was something like it makes it more interesting and it makes people try harder. But I feel like when, when it's 150 grand on the line, no team's not trying that week. Like, no one's rich enough in Overwatch at the point where that's not True. a motivator. And I guess maybe the fans, I don't know if the fans are like, oh, well, this also matters for regular season, so I'm going to watch it more, maybe. Um but I think the concept itself is really nice. Yeah, like as long as I'm only getting one game per weekend, I'm, I won't complain to you at all. Mm. If you give me one game per weekend for the rest of the season, I'm going to shake your hand and, and I'm going to be okay with that. And I also think, like we said at the start of the show, like for us, regular tournament experience against the big boys, like if we could get something where we had like a monthly game versus Shock and a high intensity like playoff format, that's going to do us a lot of favors as opposed to just playing regular yeah. season games and then gets like hit by a truck by like the pressure yeah. of playoffs right so i think there's definitely there's definitely like advantages for us in terms of being able to to now get regular like knockout tournament like big games experience under our belt yeah 
you could definitely argue that a team as green as the San Francisco Shock was at the start of season two, if they never get to play the Titans in all these stage playoffs, yeah. they never develop into the team that they were not tempered just, like, almost stomp the final. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's that's super reasonable. No, kind of in that same point with May Madness, and we kind of touched on this with like the hero pools and saying, you know, you guys only have basically a week going into non-hero pools to figure out what that meta is going to look like as a team that's pretty well situated into getting a buy how how beneficial do you think that that buy you know week is going to be and identifying and kind of figuring out what some of the early innovators are going to do do you think that that's going to really put you ahead okay it's possible i don't know the format of the tournament but i don't think we get a buy week i think we just don't play one more game on saturday I think we'll uh, still play games on Saturday and Sunday. I yeah, think getting a bye, a bye will... By day. Yeah, not even uh. a day, I think. I think we'll still play Saturday. I just think it's like a bye morning. Like, I don't know mm. if it's necessarily going to... I, I could be totally wrong. I just focused on who I'm playing next week. Sure, I'll, sure, of course. We'll figure that out later. But I think, I think that it's going to... It won't affect our practice. We'll get the same scrims as anyone. It just means that maybe we'll have one day where it's less exhausting for us to play like two or three games on. Yeah, it looks so, like round of 12 plays the 22nd and quarterfinals where the first seed, fourth, third, and second seeds that get the bye will be playing the 23rd. So it is a bye day. Okay, bye day. But yeah, I think overall, yeah, that's, one day is... That's pretty rough. Yeah, it's not a, not a huge benefit. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> I kind of wanted that to be, like, maybe changed. I don't know. I like the double elimination. Like, I feel like... I, to to Christopher's point, like you made earlier, like giving giving them one week to kind of like shift away from hero pools, like that kind of feels like a hero pool in and of itself, you know. Well, well, that's the thing. It, it truly is no different. It's not like yeah. oh, we like because it's still you have to change all your comps, you have to feed craft new mm -hmm. comps, you have to test, you have to go through the same process if it just switches back to no hero pools. Yeah. Like the only advantage of it being no hero pools is if you give us three or four weeks on that. Then we get the actual like evolution stage. Like to go from hero pools to another hero pool to no hero pools, you could just throw another hero pool in playoffs and it would yeah. be the same for the teams. It's no different for us. Our process is going to be identical. The only thing is maybe we have like weeks one through five to fall back on, like as a as a starting place, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Um yeah. any other any other questions about kind of the, the tournament format, or should we uh talk Titans? No, I think let's, I think let's move to turn. Two. Yeah, we can move. All right. Well, it's uh, it's it's um, in case I'm sure you have not been living under a rock. Uh, the the Titans right have um all all the runaways gone at this point. They completely really? upended. Yep. I so runaway was a really good team oh. in Korea. Yeah. Okay. I, I just learned this last week. Um, brand new to the podcast and everything. Wait, so you're telling me next week when we're playing Vancouver, it's not. The grand finalist from last season? Uh, no, it's not. Yeah. No, no. Yeah, I can really? see. Yeah, interesting, right? Uh, so uh, well, as long as it's not one of the top contenders teams who are better than our teams, I think we'll be okay. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, but obviously, obviously, with with the falling out of the Titans organization and um, all the players going, bringing in a brand new roster, there's a a lot of optics on. Uh, Overwatch League teams and the the health of uh, the players and the coaches and the Fusion have been one of the, the I would say, few teams that have actually 
done a really seem to have done at least publicly front facing done a really good job of you know players seem to be happy and healthy joking um stuff like that you haven't had any mvps leave yet um mid-season so that's good um you haven't had coaches leave and transition to content or anything else like you're just kind of trucking along uh can you tell us a little bit about how you uh think that you guys have been so uh, successful in doing that when it's very clear that uh, the combination of hero pools and COVID-19 uh, is is really hitting a lot of these uh, players and organizations hard. Well, the secret, the secret, the absolute secret to maintaining a happy roster, and this is mm. a crazy idea, is to win. Yeah. Uh, I know, and it, it sounds sarcastic, and obviously it is, but it is also super true yeah. that I, when we, when I was on the team last year, we could have a week where we win and we win and we win, and there's no problems. Everybody loves each other. They're Peachy brother, and, and then you have a week where you start to lose scrims, and then you lose an official, and everybody's arch nemesis is again or something, you know. And I, I definitely think that that one thing that we try and talk about as a team, and it's really important that we that we maintain, is the understanding that to work hard and to we put in all these hours streaming. Like players are playing a ridiculous amount of ranks. Like everyone comes to scrims. Uh, like has the right energy, has the right focus, like is everyone's being super coachable. Everybody understands that it's easier to do that when you're winning, right? And it's really important that we don't take winning for granted and get lazy and then lose. And then all of a sudden, oh no, we have to start working harder again. And then it gets difficult. Like it's really important that when you're winning, that you keep your, your foot down on the pedal and you keep like, you keep pushing forward, right? Because it's never easier to play ranked than when you've just had a, a day of scrims where you've beaten everybody. That's like, uh, it's easy. It's no problem. Um, mm. It's a lot harder to work hard when you've just had a demoralizing day of scrims where you've lost every map, and then you have to push yourself to play a rank for three hours. So I think that that's obviously like, just win forehead is probably the advice I'd give to, to uh, other coaches. But it, great. But it is like, yeah. it's super important to understand that when you're hot, that's the most important time to keep working hard and to build on it. Because this league and esports in general snowballs so hard in the right direction. It's unbelievable. Do, do you think that, I mean, it kind of brings up, so, I mean, sure, you know, winning is, is fun. Um, I get that. But so is, is the league format then and what we kind of have right now just, overly punishing to to like sorry to say it but like bad teams like if you're on mm. an uprising like does that is that kind of overly punishing and is that helpful or is that healthy if if we're kind of in a place where if you aren't winning the game your kind of mental whatever state is just not capable or not capable uh you're just not able to kind of stay engaged and, and want to keep that grind so i would i think there's two points I want to make. I think first is I, I don't think it's necessarily hero pools. Um, but one thing that our league does, which other leagues do, which definitely contributes it, is we have these massive roster sizes, right? Like in, in League of Legends and CSGO teams have the players that are playing on the A team. There's five players. And maybe some League of Legends teams have a sub or two, but that's actually rare in the majority of cases yeah. that I know of. Whereas we're in a situation in this league where a lot of teams have a lot of players who aren't getting scrim reps, right? So that's like a huge factor in people burning out and people getting like... And then once you have a team environment and you have a few people who turn negative and turn toxic, that that, that can spread like a virus, you know? And then you're in this situation um, where there's so many people... Like all people want to do sometimes is just is is play, you know. That's their job. And I think mm -hmm. we'd definitely sometimes be in a situation healthier where if players that were on the bench had ways to get meaningful scrim time, like 
on an academy team or whatever. And then the second thing, and this is not an Overwatch thing, this is an esports thing, but you have to understand the differences between esports and sports is the way we practice, right? Like if I'm NFL football team, I'm the Philadelphia Eagles, great team. I am I'm losing every week, okay? Imagine that. I only have to experience losing one time on a Sunday from three to four. I go out there and I lose. And then the rest of that week I'm practicing, but I'm not losing because we're like, we're throwing the football, yep. we're tackling each other, whatever American footballers do, right? <laughs> yeah. But in sure esports, if, if I'm one of the, the bottom teams, okay, we've just lost our official on Sunday. I'm Tuesday. Oh, I'm now in a scrim. I'm losing. Oh, I've got a second block. I'm losing, I'm losing, I'm losing, I'm losing. And it snowballs and it snowballs and it snowballs. And that becomes so much harder mentally. It's easy to practice and think, oh, we're making improvements. And then Sunday, okay, boom, we lost again. Okay, but we're going to do the same. We're going to practice harder. It's really difficult. Like, okay, scrims are just practice. But it's, you can't tell a player who's just has to sit through two hours of, of getting beaten in that, it, oh, it's just practice. You shouldn't worry about the results. Like, it's just not how the human brain works. It's not how competitive players work. So I think mm. in, in that specific format, it becomes way harder to be a bad team in esports in general. I don't think that's necessarily an owl thing. Could, do do you, you, can you, could you ever conceive of a practice environment where, other than, of course, like having these big rosters and then internally scrimming all the time, is there any way where you could just dry run a lot of uh, the, your practice um, and like have drills or whatnot? Is we tried it years and years and like when i was before of which league was even it was just a it was just an idea in jeff kaplan's brain or whatever you know when we were like in eu was content a twinkle in his eye we used to do this thing with nip ironically with Seda, who, who i now work with we had this idea to run drills and we would we would for a scrim block we would just run first fights of Li Jiang tower and we'd reset and we'd reset and we'd reset but even that was like we stopped pretty quickly and I've never seen like teams do it before. I mean, mm. even internal scrimming dry rooms, there's all sorts of from you talk to anybody who has an internal team and has a, has a B team and they'll, they'll tell you endless stories about how, how difficult it is. Especially if you're the players that are on the B team and your job is to play wacky comps, which yeah. you've never had any practice of. Your job is effectively just to get run over by the A team. That's what you're getting paid to do. And that's really difficult to like internalize as well. So it's like, I don't know. I think it's it's almost impossible to do anything rather than just scrim. I think what teams like Boston maybe should do, and I don't know if this is something they are doing, is truly just scrim contenders teams. Mm. Is is there like a push for? I, I know, like for instance, um, that Saita puts out these maps in the workshop yeah. once in a while. Like the are these maps. used by um, by Overwatch League players to some extent? Yeah, he has his like scrim lobby, which almost every team uses. And then he's 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 so good at it. Actually, it's kind of crazy. Like we have it in the Discord, and we would have, especially at the start of the season, Poker would write in, "Hey, can you practice? Can you make me something that like allows me to practice my rocks and eats on Sigma?" And within a day, Sata has this unbelievable game mode where there's five different people shooting you, and you've got to you've got to shield the Ryan Shatter, then you've got to eat mm -hmm. this thing, then you've got to rock a Moira who's ulting in like a certain window. They're like, I don't know, yeah. Like we in, as a team use that like quite a lot. We ask him to make us like specific like individual practices, and and he'll do it in like super quick time. An enigma, one of these yeah, days. Really. Yeah, really. That's one of these cool. days, we'll 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 get a hold of him. To your point with the practice and in relation to traditional sports, another thing that you know, chat kind of brought up, which was a good point, was that you know, obviously traditional sports doesn't 
get drastically changed at a fundamental level, seemingly month by month. Um, Overwatch being, a, you know, a, a, a larger case study in that. But other games as well happen, you know, seasonal bases, you know, the jungle changes in league or, you know, Dota changes, whatever. Another thing on top of that, though, is that in traditional sports, if I'm, you know, speaking in school here and John, correct me if I'm wrong, practice is kind of regulated. You don't just get to practice forever. Plus, you're also kind of regulated by your own personal, you know, physiology. You can't practice and overpractice because you could, you know, risk getting injured. Whereas esports doesn't necessarily have that. Do you think there's a world where, you know, you know, Overwatch League season 25, we have regulated practice and you're not necessarily scrimming for 20 hours a, a day. And it's a little bit more pared down to kind of help, you know, player burnout and player mental health. Is that it even a, a, a discussion point? I think if you tried to limit the amount of time teams could practice, every team would break the rules almost immediately behind. Sure, sure. Like if, if I can get an advantage by getting an extra scrim block and I don't tell Blizzard, I'm going to do it. Sorry, Blizzard, but I'm going to do sure, it. Sure, sure. Um, I'm not convinced that much of the player burnout has to do with the hectic schedule. Like most okay. teams are playing two to three blocks. I think in theory, this should be what people love to do. Scrimming is the most thing you can do as a pro player. Um, it's the losing which sucks, but I think that, like, I mean, I think there is probably some teams whose schedules are like a bit too regimented, like sure. six, six hours, no break, 17 VOD reviews a day. Like, okay, yeah, you're going to burn people out. And mm. like, even on our team, it's regular that we do six days a week. Like we only have one off day, which may be again, compared to, to normal jobs or whatever, but also we get like off weeks and we have this huge off season. So like, we kind of know what we're signed up for. Like, for sure. at least in my opinion, I'm not super convinced that teams like scrimming as many hours a day as they are is what leads to the burnout. I'd probably argue it's the, the other factors that I mentioned. The more, more of like the losing and the, the low morale that kind of comes from that. And, and rotting on the bench and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah okay. That makes sense. The, the yeah. kind of counter, not counter, but a, lo a lot of the, the narrative around that point in particular is that if we were to, you know, let's say lower the amount of official games played in the season, that games become more impactful. So it kind of doubles down on that low morale, because if we lose, we know that that's going to impact the rest of the season so heavily. So how in, in Christopher's perfect world, how do we kind of really tackle this player burnout issue? Because it's really not going anywhere. And we, we kind of need to put out a fire. So if, if you yeah. were, if you were league commissioner, let's say, what, where, where would you start looking so, at it first? So it's actually, I, I was speaking to fusions on Boston the other day. Okay. And, and it's um and he's talking about like how how Boston is in in the situation and it's mm -hmm. one thing that this isn't a solution which is which is feasible but this would sure. fix it like I can't this even the league I'm not even advertising for it because obviously it can't work but I think the fact that there's no relegation in a league is a huge reason because I think if you're one of these bottom five teams maybe what are you fighting for like you really know that at this stage it's almost too it's late over. to go in a significant yeah. Like in, I always go back to English football because we do a league system sure. the way it needs to be done, right? Like there's no playoffs. What's a playoff? That that's a dumb idea, actually. That's something that Americans made up because you watch it. It's true. You watch it right why, now. Why play 38 games and then choose who wins based off like the next three games? Like that's mm -hmm. total nonsense to me anyway as a European. Yes. But we have this thing <laughs> in football where we have 20 teams, right? And if yep. you're one of the bottom seven or eight. Your mm -hmm. goal is to survive. That is the goal. Right. And if you're 19th in the league, 
you're still working your ass off because you need to survive. You don't want to be relegated. And then if you're in this bracket between 12 and 8, you're fighting for European qualification, which is like the top six teams. And then if you're a top four team, you're fighting to win the league, right? And every single team is motivated by some sort of goal. Um, and in the league, if you're not one of the teams that's fighting like to win or to like get a good seed in playoffs, it's really difficult to find a genuine reason to work hard more than just your competitive integrity as a person, if that mm -hmm. can be said without sounding bad. Like, yeah, you're yeah. Is um, there a way we could maybe shift it to force mandated roster changes? Because a, lo a lot of the pushback that you know immediately comes when we talk about relegation and franchise leagues is investors don't want to just blow their money because you know you, you you get one too many bad actors and oh poof goes the dynamite and my twenty millions out the window. Is there a way we could soften the blow so they get to keep their slot, but are forced to make changes, you know, at the staff level, at the roster level, and they kind of have to really change how they've been doing things? Is that, you know, maybe a workaround maybe, to kind of have a little bit of both? Maybe there's a world where you can do some sort of like financial incentive for where you place in the league so that sure. it's like, it's good if you finish 18, if you earn a decent chunk more money than, than 20th. And then obviously I think, I don't know. I don't know. Like you're right. The franchise system makes relegation impossible. That's a fact. Yeah. That's like why I said it. Um, but this is, in my opinion, the weakness of the American sports system is that mm -hmm. the bottom half of teams really don't have much to fight for. Totally. I, yeah. And I, I, that's tough to even argue that. Like it, it's 100%. You know, a, a pro of you know European systems. Um, but. I yeah, don't know if we well, even in let our the, let the bulldog loose on that one. In in our you know American systems, we're even incentivized that if you are losing often, to continue to lose, so you get better draft on, picks. You get a draft you get, pick, yeah, right? you get better draft picks. You get um like you, you have a lot more trading opportunities on like mm -hmm. uh, you know there's there's a lot of ways to really turn around that um like a a bad season and it, like it's almost worse to have just like a middling season where you finish like bottom you know like in like the in the 25th percentile yeah, yeah. right where it's like you're not the bottom so you don't get all the picks and all the perks of that but you're not good enough to make any playoffs or anything and and you know you just are kind of like getting getting uh quenched there i guess mm. american yeah, sports do not suck chat no <laughs> damn play, yeah, damn it if playoffs aren't fun yeah, but then, okay, let's go watch Man United versus Liverpool, and it's going to get 14,000 times more viewers anyway, even at the, the Super Bowl, you know? like Yeah. And then system, you still have Champions League if you like the knockout stage. Exactly. They, they add cups in between the league to where you get those exciting games. And also one I, benefit that the Premier League does, which the Overwatch League doesn't, is they only broadcast certain games, right? Like if I'm a, uh, if I'm a, if I'm watching the Premier League, I get a game Saturday twelve fifteen. I have a game. I have a game Saturday five thirty, and then we have Super Sunday where I get two or three games, and then sometimes they throw in a Monday game as well. But out of the games that I've played, there's only like three, four, five games which are actually broadcast. Which means, as a as a viewer of football fan, I never have no offense. I never have to watch Washington versus Boston. No offense. No mm, offense. Sure. Sure. Like I, I only, and then obviously I'm more engaged because I'm watching like the top teams every week. And then if I'm like a true fan of, of, of Newcastle or whoever, I'll go to the games in person. And then that's my way to watch them across the season. Interesting. I, I gotta be honest. If I, if I had less time and I actually wanted to delegate my time towards watching like the most fun matches, 
I would have a very hard time at the moment in Overwatch League simply because A, schedules are not really being kept, are they? <laughs> with, the, yeah. with these 3 0 stomps. True. And also, very often matches that look potentially very good absolutely blunder. And then some matches that honestly don't look that amazing, like for instance, let's say Shanghai against Seoul, turns out to be a barn burner. Yeah. So I wake up in the morning, just go like, ah, oh, okay, that was probably a bad match. So uh, let's check the scores. Wait, how is that happening? Mm -hmm. Right? Like, and um, that also makes it makes it less predictable. But I guess that it sort of facilitates the the VOD structure of, of this, I still think sports and competition needs to be consumed or is best consumed live with oh, people course, to hang yeah. out with and to join the discourse of it all. And um, uh, yeah, it's, it's very challenging in that regard. Now, of course, I also wouldn't like what we had before to stabilize like the broadcast times to still ha have to play format maps like we used to because that would just like... You know, like extend the drudgery of some of those matches to one more map where it's just like, okay, the last map doesn't even matter. So that team is now even more crushed. Like it's, um, it's, I also completely sympathize with the broadcasting position, right? Where it's like, what do you do? You, like you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? So, um, but yeah, that like the, these are those types of things where we have to sit down in the off season, I think, and just like tinker around with, okay, this is what Overwatch is now. And how can we make it? So this is, um, like a, a best possible experience product. where expectations more often are kept, I suppose. Sure. What... I would agree. Yeah. All right. Um, any any other thoughts uh, specifically for Christopher, or should we reca recap some matches? I All think right. matches are in order. Matches are in order, and therefore we will uh, tackle them in order. Let's start with the big one. This was a surprising. Well, uh, yeah, this was a surprising one. Uh, Seoul Dynasty upset the Shanghai Dragons three to two in five maps. Mm. Uh, Joey didn't see that game. one coming, dude. No, I, at the very, at the best, we could maybe assume it was going to be close. But even with that, this is the Soul Dynasty that just got walloped by both the Charge and the Spark. And, you know, a lot of people jumping off the bandwagon. They assumed, you know, the fires weren't going to be put out. And again, I, I stand by what I said last week. They were late to the party. You know, they had a bad, you know, hero pool that was dirty for them. And this week, they look much cleaner. They look better. And lo and behold, they, they go the distance with the dragons who, you know, stand with Philly and possibly even the Shock as, you know, the best teams in the world and end up beating them uh, in, in five games. And what a, what a hell of a game. I quite enjoyed it. This week's in general, like, there have been a lot of games. Obviously, Christopher and, you know, the Philadelphia Fusion playing against Dallas was, you know, closer than the score might seem. So if you haven't caught that, definitely pay attention to that one. And Shanghai Seoul was was one to watch. I was, I was, you know, in, in the world of hero pools, I don't get a ton of, ton of fun out of watching, you know, three Oh, this way, three Oh, that way. This one was, this one was a good overwatch. This was, this was a, a nice breath of fresh air. Christopher, do you get to like, uh, watch a lot of these, um, like Asia games right now with, with like when they're, when they're being broadcasted? Not really. It's, um, 
okay, so a game happens. I wake up on Saturday morning and then there's games like. Yeah. I'm in a situation where I can watch. I'll always like check to see who won, and if there's, I'll check comps. But even I see a comp that's new, I'm never going to suggest we play it because sure. we've had no practice on it, right? And then so I can check the scores and I can watch the games. But there's very little like productive I can take from it because like our meta is different. We've already like finalized or hopefully finalized what we're doing come Saturday and Sunday. Um, and then I'm still in a situation where I wake up, I get ready, I have scrims in in a few hours anyway. And then so so normally if I'm going to watch a game, I'm gonna watch it like today on my off day. But then I'm just watching it to watch it. And then obviously the problem with hero pools as well is the second that the new bands are in, who cares what anyone played last week? What can I learn from them? It's 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 over again. Like if we mm, were yeah. playing continuously, I would probably study the hell out of a Shanghai VOD to like say, is the stuff they're doing? But when it's like there's a new hero ban, as much as like I should be like, I should be watching or whatever. Like, it, it's hard to justify sometimes because it, it's not like totally. productive for me. Do you kind of miss, you know, watching some of these other VODs and, and, you know, really kind of diving deep on some of these teams? Is that a, yeah, that I a, mean, you kind of miss that? During GOATS, we would do it all the time. With, right. Shock would play and we'd watch it and we'd, we'd try to try dissect and, and reverse we'd get, engineer. Like, the replay viewer and we'd watch PV sure. and try and like get understanding of like how is Troy even so good, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I suppose, in a way, being one of, the better, yeah, <laughs> one of the better teams, less mm. footage to to copy of the top teams, it's kind of an advantage for us as well, I could argue. Because I think what happened, at least in GOATS, was almost every team was just religiously watching Shock and Titans VODs, trying to they would watch their VODs more than we watch their mm. own VODs. You know, like, oh, let's do this, let's do this, let's do this. This is like a good way to do it. Whereas mm. now teams are kind of forced to look look at themselves, and every team has to do it their own way. Like, there's a lot less copying to do if you can call it that for sure well and with the league essentially split up into two right like there's a lot less incentive for you to be looking at really any of the asian teams because you're never really gonna gonna play you're not also not gonna play them so you've almost got like an entirely different league going unless they just jump ship you know jumps back they play this comp we don't Mm. know if they're playing this comp as specific to counter this other comp which is an asia only comp like yep. we can't just blind copy a comp and understand the thought process and the swaps and the way that comp is meant to be yeah. played. Because what happens if that comp, but the teams that NA teams play against that, just steamroll it. Oh, we've just wasted our time. You know, like each team has its own meta. They play this comp versus this comp. Okay, we're gonna swap this hero to counter this, to do this, to do this. It's really difficult to to do too much to copy and like use the facts that we get to see Asia VODs before our own. Can I ask I- about a pattern that's that's been sort of like going on where even if the even if both the regions kind of can agree on an archetype and now it's kind of muddling a little bit and the the lines are not as clearly drawn but it felt like north america was tracer asia was sombra like from your point of view how do you evaluate that why would you why like why did teams in the past not consider tracer to the point of or or uh, sorry sombra in NA, what, what's the what's the thematic or ideological difference there for? Yeah, so instead of just the specific Tracer versus Sombra, I think what you said makes a lot of sense in terms of, you talk about the archetypes of comp, right? I think almost every team uses similar terminology. They call it like a brawl comp, which is nine times out of 10 Rhine with Lucio, and then normally a May in there or something, right? Sure. And then yeah. I think some teams call it poke. We call it spam, which is normally like Arissa, Sigma. And then we play it with like a Zen Bap or like a non-Lucio-based comp. And then obviously the dive comp, everyone calls it the, the dive comp with the Winston Diva, right? 
And mm. the only way for me to explain this is you guys need to visualize that each team has their internal free bar graphs, okay? And this is how good you are at each of the comps. So maybe as a team, Philly, we're like really good at like the rank comps, which is funny if you'd considered I would have said that last season, but it's true. Mm -hmm. And then like maybe like because we've had so much time on that, we're like here on the spam comps and then we're here on the dive or whatever, right? Sure, sure, sure. What, what, what's going to end up happening is that as a team plays more of those comps, those bar graphs increase to the point where when a set of hero bands comes out, we're going to look at a meta in America especially, or it's a Ryan week, we're going to play Ryan because every team in America has a bar graph this size of Ryan comps. But the Asia teams, they've played a lot more dive than us, and especially the Arista Sigma, they really like, like that comp over there where we would play Ryan comps. Because their bar graph in Asia, from what they chose to scrim from an earlier day, is higher. So we're going to look at different... And then it's the same for the Tracer Sombra stuff, right? Like, at some point, Teams in Asia decided to play a bit more Sombra for whatever reason. But their Sombra bar graph is higher than their Tracer bar graph. And our Tracer graph is higher than our Sombra bar graph. So whenever there's options to pick it, it makes more sense to pick which is better. If I mm -hmm. explain that easily. You've got more experience in one, right. you know, attribute than the other, let's say. Yeah. And it, similar. You, you've got a week to practice it. So good mm. luck dedicating three days to trying something which doesn't necessarily fit your style at the start sure. of the week, you know? reason to switch you know to to a to a strength composition yeah. and not an agility one if you're more agility prone makes sense 100%. makes perfect sense. hopefully if i'm if i'm applying and making the analogy even more convoluted mma is the best analogy for it if you wanted to go into sports like if you're a wrestler versus a striker versus a kickboxer like mm. even your opponent you think oh this guy's kind of good at wrestling against wrestling but i'm so much better my wrestling bar graph is it's Khabib level, I'm all the way up here, then I'm still going to do it, even though this guy counters it a little bit, you know? Like, mm. I think maybe that's the... Makes sense, yeah. Better analogy. Styles make fights? It certainly do. I, I prefer a virology um, <laughs> analogy, please. Mm, how can we shoehorn that in this one? Yeah, we need that, actually. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, yeah, so... Hmm. Um, Jessica, you, you haven't uh, talked about uh, Seoul, Shanghai, um, really yet. Is uh, is do, in your opinion, is Seoul just that good at at double shield, and that's why they win this one, or is it a? Yeah, yeah. I think if we're staying in the Bacha terminology, I don't think there's a team in Overwatch League that has a wider divide between the height of their Bachats than Seoul Dynasty. And maybe it's Chengdu. I don't know. But Chengdu is like... No, I don't even know. I, I feel like Chengdu doesn't they have three. Bar, right? They just... Like, <laughs> they keep slicing it. Like yeah. thin bologna sandwiches. Like, sure. I don't know. It's... Um, but... I... I was, of course, pleasantly surprised from a... from, mm. a, from a point of view of uh, having to watch a great match. But it's also really... Really, really confusing, especially as someone who's narratively driven and wants to have the stories. And yes, I can contextualize it as they are very good at uh, at double shields and not at, as good at the other stuff. Even though that's like Soul not being good at dive when it's when it's profit and gesture. Okay, whatever. But um, the the thing is that makes every hero pool draw. So unsatisfying if I was to think from the soul point of view, where it's like, mm. okay, is double shield now possible? No. And then also from the opponent, I'm just like, whoa, this is not a double shield soul week. Nice. That's a free win. Like, 
the divide between the and of course it's also on soul that their divide is this high but it's really really unsatisfying because there is this random element to to it where it determines seemingly so much mm. in terms of what the outcome of a match is and um yeah that that is certainly like i i i have a a hate relationship not even love hate relationship Just ever since like Warcraft, uh, sorry, World of Warcraft in 2009, where people wanted to tell me that randomness is a fun creator. It's not. It's terrible. And wherever it is, ha has something to do with competitive games, it's actively bad game design, mas masquerading, like, or trying to come overcome, like, like a design philosophy issue. Mm. So, like, these situations, I was actually really upset about how, how that game. Uh, game went on a macro level where it's like okay this is this is dumb like i i i kind of want to be able to string these narratives and also of course take people on the ride with me for those sure that's kind of my like my, my job and now like we we already know that people don't or think about Overwatch to that nuanced point where it's like, do we now have to create two identities for Soul Dynasty in order to explain to people that, like, this is Dr. Jekyll and this is Mr. Hyde Soul Dynasty? And, like, I, I don't know how we frame these things and how we make it palatable and how we make a story out of that. And, or if it is even a story, because, like, what what if this completely bungles next week? And I'm not sure. Does does Seoul, for instance, play London? Seoul plays Chengdu, and I believe that's their only match next week. Okay. Well, Chengdu is always like I don't mind them losing that hilariously because that's apparently a thing uh, top teams do. But like, imagine them playing London and getting ruffled stomp because they're not playing double shield. That is not satisfying. Yeah. I don't know. That's not what I look into uh, sports for. Like it's it would be something else if it was like rock paper scissor and yeah nice like there's a, a this team sure. plays this comp this team plays this comp and depending on how they like because of the qualities that these teams have they mm -hmm. play into each other in a in a way but have that determined by something they cannot control it feels it, feels it's rough bad definitely I'll I'll be the apologist here for Soul and say that I still think that week thirteen. Was, was a messy hero pool. It was a dirty hero pool for them. They came late to the party with Echo. That's why Prophet looked like hot. Um, and it, it, it didn't pan out. Everybody was ahead of the curve. They were, you know, lagging behind. I don't think they've just miraculously forgot how to play dive. I think if they were to play, you know, if, if Asia was to copy the NA meta and every team was to play that, I think Soul would do well for themselves. Due to the fact that you have gesture on a comfort pick, you have Prophet on a comfort pick. They can kind of form that duo like they did before. And I think it works out just fine for them. I think that week again, we have to take it with a grain of salt. It, it still very well could be, you know, maybe maybe their their attribute in double shield is just that high and everything else is just delted to top to, to the garbage heap. And they they really don't. But I don't know if we have uh, definitive information one way or the other. I won't say that, true. you know, I, I won't pull, true. you know, oh, Asia sucks and souls, you know, everybody up, you'll know, sell your stocks. You know, I don't think it's, you know, the ship's burning necessarily, but it is confusing. I, I, I have to agree with that. It's hard to really sell narratives and really paint a, a, a fun picture, a clear picture with hero pools, but, you know, we're not going to sit here and bash 
Bashir pulls again. Yeah. Christopher, do you have a feeling which, like, let's see, say we miraculously could teleport everyone to an island and we can, could play Overwatch. Fight, island, fight, island. Which, which, <laughs> which, um, which region, Asia or NA, would do better, generally? And let's, <laughs> let's largely disregard, like, the individual's... Uh, no, let's consider that as well. Of course, it's, it's hard to, like, aggregate, like, the archetypical North American team because there's, of course, a wide divide between Boston Uprising and, like, you guys. Um, while that arguably isn't the case as much for Asia, but... Um, if if you who's the better meta take? Let's say that. <laughs> I mean, if I thought we had a worse take on the meta, we probably wouldn't be playing the comps we're playing, right? Like, I mean, I you have... might because it, uh, yours have have to only work against your yeah your meta, right? I don't. I, I really don't know how how you can. How That's can a hard question it. to answer. It's like asking if you know Khabib beats Justin Gaethje. Like he does. How do you know? You have to fight. You have to see. Okay, then um, let's ask this. Do you think we've gotten any good indication? Do you think there's any telling power in Seoul going over and winning and or getting clapped or the old Vancouver roster going over yeah. and getting clapped? The London. Do you think these are at all good indicators towards uh, scene strength? Yeah, so you see Seoul come to NA and dominate, but you're 100% right where Seoul dominated on their double shield shit, right? So they, they, th there's so many arguments where you can, the team that you face, depending on the weakest look, what you said before was 4 million times correct, like 100%. But then like New York at the same time, like they, they're doing kind of well in Asia, but they also couldn't beat one of the teams in, in North America. I can't remember who, but then, so, th so there's maybe arguments either way for both regions being better. Um, I, I don't know. I think if you took the, the, the mean, the median, whatever, the middle average, probably mm. Asia is higher. But I, I'd like to say that we have higher highs and lower lows in North America. Mm -hmm. I'd like to say that. I, I, I think that's... But I'm just guessing. I'm, just, I'm just guessing. Did, you, you know, did you see this comment by Super who said, like, one of those teams is going to get exposed? And of course, that like, was so interesting to me. So interesting. Yeah. Because I didn't, I didn't, I had no, like, I, so whatever, whatever he's seen from scrims, we hadn't seen. I, maybe, mm, I think okay. we didn't really scrim Seoul. So I, we weren't in a situation. Like, I went into that series thinking, oh, this is going to be like an incredible game. And he knew, he knew the result before it went in. So he clearly, he clearly, yeah, I, I just thought it was really interesting how he mm. already knew the outcome of that game because even me as an Overwatch League coach, I at least had not seen weaknesses in Saw's gameplay, which made me believe that it was going to be like that. Mm. But it, I'm not Very exactly watching Asia region with a with a magnifying glass either. To be fair, yeah. yeah. Uh, Saw's an enigma. They're weird. They are an enigma. Um, I think the only other surprising one, I think, from the Asia region, really quick, is NYXL losing to Guangzhou. Playing some weird stuff. Genji Doomfist on uh, Kings Row A. Doing a bunch of wonky stuff. Who are you still in? You know, even though Yiska's trying to paint the narrative that everybody's trying, you know, we're, we're done with the who are you on May, guys. Don't worry. We're done here. We're going to play Libero on May. We're going to do good things. Well, 
I guess, you know, the virus hasn't completely left our system. We got to get a little bit more antibiotics. So we'll have to see what NYXL shows up next week. Is it the one that's trying or the one that's... You know, I, I got to <laughs> say, I haven't that? watched the match, so I, I couldn't tell you what Goofy what stuff. Happened. I, yeah. Treat yourself. Re- film a reaction video because that's a special one. All right. Um, okay, well, let's let's move on to the the NA matches. And I think the, the big one, or one of the big ones, is Vancouver's first week, right? Um, yeah. not not the strongest showing at the same time. No. Um, at the same time, I don't know how much you expect. Like they're not even exactly. on exactly. They're they're not a full roster. They didn't pull that full contenders roster over, so there is like synergy. There's also, I'm mm-hmm. sure, just a lot of turmoil and like you know, in the matter of two weeks, going from you know, uh, chilling in contenders to uh, oh yeah, you're playing in Overwatch League now and like getting all that infrastructure over. But uh, Joe, guys, what did you see from Vancouver this week? Any any bright notes? silver linings in any of that i mean i think they have like a good core to work around i like we're hearing reports that like not even all the players are you know within north america so they're playing with a lot of handicaps like you said this is you know a brand new roster kind of piecemealed together we kind of have to give them time to figure things out we're getting through the season so it's not like they have the most time in the world um it's it's kind of what you'd expect um what do you what 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 is there really to say? It's it's one week on hero pools. If hero pools really taught us anything, we need to really see like a, a wide variety of data sets to kind of really look at okay, like where is this team strong? Where are they weak? Losing to Washington and Florida definitely aren't strong points, but there again, you know, it's their first weekend. You've got to assume, you know, these are these are, you know, green players. These are rookies coming into the Overwatch League, even though it's online, it's it's still pressure, right? On top of handicaps, on top of coming in mid-season, you know, I I cut them a lot of slack. This isn't the best showing in the world. This isn't how you'd want to start, you know, Vancouver B two. But what do you what do you do? You can't. I can't really bag on them. You know, they're 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 trying their dangest, but uh, it's it's tough. That's that's not how you want to open up for sure. How this is this is the interesting thing did you did you read the Hafi cool uh tweet Christopher? Mm-hmm. the one with uh the top na teams could beat i'm not sure what range he gave but like a couple of vowel teams how did you receive that did you think that was possible or but it's it's happy cool so that's, that's how, it, <laughs> that's how it's gonna go i think so astro said this to me this week and i actually think he's 100 percent correct when i spoke to you guys earlier about the concept of like losing and losing and then losing and losing mm-hmm. these top contenders teams can mute uh not mute sorry my my speaker just went off sorry it's confused me can beat the bottom overwatch league teams because they're not boomed and the Overwatch League teams are boomed, right? And then they're in this situation where if you're the top of like the cycle in contenders and you're winning all your scrims, they can absolutely go against the teams in Overwatch League who have already given up, who are already like, mm-hmm. like there's no motivation, there's internal problems. But what I'll say is this, these top contenders teams, get them in OWL, give them a few months to scrim the OWL teams. It's really difficult for me to sit here and tell you that being paid to be an OWL 
makes it harder than to play in an unsalaried contenders team because it obviously feels really disingenuous to tell us, oh, these guys who are getting paid to play have it tougher. But I promise you that the fact that A, rosters are relatively fixed in contenders. If you have a bad player, he's he's gone, right? And I think that allows like a constant rejuvenation of honeymoon periods, right? Like, okay, mm -hmm. he's like they're able to continue to do like that. And B, like I said, like they're winning their scrims and, and the Overwatch League teams are losing theirs and they obviously have to scrim again. Like, no one's arguing that the top contenders teams are going to beat the top Overwatch League teams, I hope. And then yeah. they're in this situation where I, I think you take any contenders team and I think if you give them enough cycles of getting smashed in scrims, then they're going to realize, oh, it's really difficult to live in a team house with players that when you're losing all the time and then you have this external pressure of having to play against the best teams in the world and having all of these people tweeting you and all these people watching your games like obviously they would prefer to be paid and be in the Overwatch League but there is also a lot of pressure which being in the Overwatch League forces you to have which you don't have in contenders and that's like that's honestly true so I think like teams like this the top contenders teams if you put them in a match against the bottom Overwatch teams right now for sure they could win but I think if you give them an extended period of time to get get out beaten into them then then you start to see that they probably don't hold up as well towards this Point. this concept of confidence or like i understand there's a lot of like the the social dynamics of of the team as well but one thing that's always frequently asked about uh, talked about in cs for instance is that this is also a game of confidence and it's not really as much about i think the team dynamic even though that of course also plays a, a role but it's like you fly into the angle differently when you're confident that you're the best player in the world, right? I can't... Okay, I'm going to tell you a story that proves you to be a million percent correct, okay? Story maybe isn't the right word, but okay. Over the course of our season, we are now 12 games, 11 wins, right? And, mm -hmm. and there was a few points during the season where our confidence wasn't at 100%. Going into our first games at the Philly homestand, we really weren't sure if we were going to beat Washington and Florida. And that's like the God's honest truth. Like our scrims hadn't been good. We really didn't feel like we'd had our comps like properly figured out. And what happened was we have a really close game against Washington, but we beat them. Okay. The next day we, we feeling better. Okay. Maybe we're not so bad. We beat Florida. Okay. And what I'll tell you is that the starting Monday, the next week of that scrims, we were so much of a better team because we'd won the games before. Our confidence was higher. Everybody was bought in. It was like watching a better team. We hadn't coached them any differently. They hadn't learned anything differently. We weren't playing against different teams. We weren't playing different comps. But we were such a better team on week two than week one. And the only reason for that was because we won week one. I promise you, without a shadow of a doubt, if we lose to Washington on day one, our season right now looks like totally different i think that like we would still be good because our players are too good to be like a, a bad team but yeah. maybe the Was the florida game is close and i think it's really difficult to argue we would beat new york the week after if we'd had a week where we'd lost the games on the first week because then the confidence would be down we'd be playing worse the players would be less bought in and the exact same thing happened in hero pools right like we have the first week of hero pools where it was a train wreck it was horrific mm. we lose to paris in that really close series we then have two week break and scrimming on off weeks in hero bands does more harm than good. It's so difficult. Like, oh, but we're not, these aren't even our bands. Yeah. So we have a horrible week of practice where the results don't go well. People aren't feeling good. It's really difficult. Like, I don't want to like put on a seven hour VOD review of a meta we're not going to play because even I know that it's really not a productive use of my time. It's better for us to chill. And it's really hard to say, okay, guys, we're just scrimming this week, just chilling, like staying warm. It's difficult to get people to try. 
So again, our confidence goes down and down again. And then we have the Torb virus week versus Washington. So a lot of things going into that game, we didn't feel at a million dollars, right? But okay, we realize we win Frio, even playing the Torb, like Carpet has an unreal game on Torb. And all of a sudden we're like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, we are a good team, but don't worry about it. And then that next week we have like the toughest week that we've had all season, which is Atlanta and Paris in the same weekend on a different mm. hero ban. And we beat both teams purely because we won the week before. It wasn't because like, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. And then sometimes, like, I've seen it with, like, I've seen us do it to other teams. I've seen teams like Atlanta and Paris, who I consider to be really, really good teams. I've seen us beat them one week, and then their performance goes the other direction in the week after because it snowballs in either direction. And obviously, over the course of the season, if you're a good team, it's not like every team just goes up or down. It's obviously, like, a bit of this. But there is actually 100% a factor in, like, the confidence. Mm. And it's why I really think, like, if, if I'm... If I'm busting up rising head coach, I really think I'm cancelling every scrim with an Overwatch League team. I'm scrimming contenders teams. I'm saying, fuck their meta. We're going to do the contenders meta. We're going to scrim. We're going to come out of this week with a decent scrim percentage. And we're going to go into them and they're going to have no idea what we're playing. We're not going to know what they're playing. But we're going to be confident that we can beat them. And I truly believe that... I know it's so it's so borderline disrespectful yeah. to say that you guys yeah. should scrim contenders teams but i do i do i do think that confidence is going to be like such a significant factor that like yeah. like yeah i don't know I, I don't know how to say it without being really harsh to them or really like bigging us up but like it's not productive for them it's not productive for them to scrim us do you know what i mean like it mm -hmm. does more harm than good even though we're like they can learn a lot from us in theory right sure sure but you're not I learning think... if you're so bought out right like you're yeah. not learning if you're you know in bed sick, you know, you have to be able to to kind of be healthy and, and have a, a good healthy mindset to be able to learn and, and get something from those scrims. Yeah. I think if you're just getting boomed to this point, it's really hard to reframe what success means. Sure. I think there's a the way, for instance, one thing that was super interesting to see is there's this documentary about um TI and what what's it called again, Joe? So True people can watch True Sight. True Sight. True Sight. Yeah. And they follow both teams and OG has what I assume also to be the, the result of, um, and the name escapes me. I'll, I'll, I'll probably remember in a bit, but you're talking um, about like the, the Astralis performance psychologist. Performance, yeah. She's, okay. she's the uh, performance coach for Astralis and for OG. And before that, I think she worked with another esports team that also just like overperformed ridiculously. Sure. And the pattern that I picked up, which was a little weird, like I didn't know the guy, I wasn't that much into Dota, but the team captain of OG in the match they lost went like, so, so basically what happens is they, they do the ban phase and apparently it didn't go that well. And they play the match and they lose it, but they have some win condition where it's like, they where he reframes it and says, like, for how the bands went and how how all of that shaped up, like they are at their wits end now. Like we got we figured them out in the game. Now we know that it's over. They're they're totally boomed. Like. We basically won the match by XYZ happening here, and that was our win condition. 
I think if you're if you're like a team that usually wins, this reframing can work. Of course, I totally agree. That probably doesn't work for Boston Uprising, where you celebrate like I don't know, like having a crisp execution against the San Francisco Shock, but still getting zero points is probably not going to be able to that you can reframe that as a success, right? But um, in general, yeah, it's also <laughs> the pattern, uh, and this is like talking a little bit of, but of uh, out of order, but like, I remember when I got global in CSGO, mm -hmm. the way I did that, and like, I used to play with the same group of friends, and then like, everyone's was like, um, yeah, it wasn't running, and then I was playing with lower ranked friends, and I was just chop fragging, flying into every angle, every time. Like just like thirty bombing every game in in these lower ranks, and then I played like that at the higher ranks, and it still worked somehow, right? And I I think generally like this winners mentality thing is actually there is something I'm sure there's something f physiological um, about this where it's like almost hormonal what it mm -hmm. does to your cognition and high and eye coordination and whatnot, where it's just like. It's that's the magic juice that you want to get at, right? I think it's something that jujitsu does well. Is that at least I've heard, you know, with the little bit that I, I've dived into to MMA, is that you know you you kind of roll with people who necessarily aren't at your level, but you learn how to finish them and do that quickly and build up that confidence. I think it's something that um, I believe former Quake, you know, legend Fatality. I think Thorin has a, a great interview with him. He talks about doing that quite a lot. You know, practicing with people not necessarily at your level and just building up confidence and, and being able to fly into those angles like Kiska saying um, and like what Christopher saying it's uh, yeah chat I chat kind of nails it on that you have to believe that you're going to be able to win that that shot when you kind of turn that angle maybe a reason why I think the leading theory on why baby base kind of you know doing as well as he is I think somebody who just can't not yeah. be confident yeah. and is just exudes confidence and that's why he can come onto the server and just Take every angle, take every duel. He knows he's going to win. Yeah, I mean, I think the the true sight example is really good. Like No Tail and Seb are the greatest emotional leaders I I've ever seen. Like those two carry that. I I have no doubt. I have zero understanding of Dota, but the way those two are as teammates carry that team to be the best in the world without a shadow of like I don't know. I'm sure they have the carries elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Sure, but those leadership roles are so important in any sport. And and Yeska, me and you have spoken about the, the book, the captain's class, right? Mm -hmm. And, it, and it, it's this book which goes in, the concept is like the greatest sports teams in history. There's one, it's like, there's one consistent thing and it's not having the best team or the best player or the best coach. It's having like leaders within the team who are, who are so, that fit the criteria of great leaders. And that's what takes mm -hmm. a team from being a good team to a hyper elite team. And I think mm. you saw that with OG. And I think like, I don't know if Baby Bay is at that level, but I think you're 100% right. Like the team clearly feels more comfortable when they have yeah. this confidence leader playing. Toronto, I don't know if we're going to get to it. Toronto versus Shock. You saw the same thing. Tell me sure. that Toronto did look a million times better this season. 100%. Yeah. Cruz is an unbelievable in-game leader, an unbelievable like team captain. And Fefe talked about it. That was all that was holding like Toronto back from being a good team was probably just like a, a proper natural born leader. And almost immediately you can yeah. see Cruz comes in and they were very close to beating Shock this weekend. I, I think that's a good transition point. Looking at Toronto, do you think that, you know, is there a way kind of a two part question? Do you, is there a way that you feel like a team can lose in a good way 
to kind of build a little bit of morale, a little bit of confidence? And do you think this is a kind of turning point for Toronto in that same light? If, if Toronto haven't taken more positives than negatives from this weekend's game, then I don't understand what's wrong with them. Like, sure. objectively, they've played against who, who I've already said that I consider to be the team to beat in Overwatch. Mm-hmm. And they, if Moth doesn't get that boop, who yeah. knows how this series yeah. looks, right? Like, they're, mm-hmm. they're a miracle play away from overturning a five-minute deficit on a payload map. Yeah. Compared to last week where they were a team who, or the like, previous rest of the season who looked pretty like lost at times right like they, they have to take positives from that if they don't yeah. then then their mentality is in in the wrong space for sure sure that le- leads me to the question who's the emotional leader on the philly fusion uh carpe is the one and actually the reason if are we going to talk about our game at some point during this? Yeah, we can. Maybe we can. Sure, no. Sure. Yeah. Yes, yes, we will. Okay. Yeah. If we do, I'll tell you then about like <laughs> okay. why Carpe won us this week's game. But yeah, Carpe, and then I think Astro is also, mm-hmm. I mean, Astro is so young, but 100% that guy has like leadership material written all over him, like I can already see. So I think between those two, like they're probably like our, our emotional leaders. Let's, uh, hmm. let's, uh, Let's talk about your your game against Dallas um, a little bit, and uh, so something. Dallas is in an interesting position, just as a team in general. I feel like they've got uh, some really exciting players on their roster. They haven't, I would say, totally strung together probably the results that they are hoping for, but mm. uh, they seem to be a team that has to be taken pretty seriously. I think, um, or, or oh, yeah. they'll they'll sneak up on you. Yeah, we treated them with 100% respect this week. Uh, we think they're good. I think they've had a pretty tough schedule and then like various situations. I think they're a better team than their, than their record shows. Um, Do you think that they're a team that is very much like how Yiska's propagating soul? Do you think their their attributes, their bar graphs are a little skewed in one direction? It's Maybe possible. towards like a dive? We we believe internally that we, yesterday we played the best Dallas Fuel possible. Sure. I think that meta this week, if I was to design a meta which would allow Dallas Fuel to excel, Trace or Sombra, yeah. and then the Moira as well is like really, mm. really important for them because I think it highlights their strengths and maybe paves over their, their weaker areas as well, right? Sure. So I think that we realized that if it was a Trace or Sombra mirror, that's when their bar graph is at its highest. And the only time we've lost this season was on Winston comps, right? So mm. so we definitely had a point to prove of like beating one of the best dive teams on dive. Like that was definitely like a an important thing for us to prove that we're not just Ryan May one tricks, you know? For sure. Yeah. Um go ahead, Jessica. So can you explain the mechanic by which Carpe won this match? Yeah, so so you guys all watched the game and presumably like most people, I think the analyst desk was talking about as well. There was like the concepts of um, map one and two, we were like struggling, especially with our EMPs and stuff, right? Mm. Um, and what ended up being was that we we were playing in a way where we were kind of allowing that Winston to jump into our team. And then we were kind of like reacting to that in an attempt to like to, to eat his dive and then like try and punish him. That was kind of cons- like 
most of the game plan going in. And what Carpe does, and this is what Carpe does on our team that nobody else does, was after we lose first point Blizzard World and the, the series is looking pretty bad, actually, Carpe realized that we needed to make a swap. And then he started to say to the guys, no, guys, we have to go first. We have to be the one that jumps into them. This is going to make everything easier for us. And he like he emotionally dragged the team from like a slower playstyle into a faster playstyle. That wasn't necessarily what we'd, we'd practice, but I think he recognized during this game, if we keep playing like we are, we're going to lose this game. And then he was like the one, he was the driving force that, no guys, we go first, jump first, jump first, jump first. Um, and the way that it changed it is that like, imagine dive v dive, especially with Lucio Meyer, which mm. I hate by the way, but especially with Lucio Meyer. Like, <laughs> It's not It's not a dive comp because the Winston's not flanking. You're not diving anyone. It's just goats with Winston. It's like Moira needs to be removed from the game. But okay, we're playing <laughs> We're playing Winston, Winston, Diva, Lucio, Moira. And these are the sure, two sure, comps. Sure. If their Winston jumps into ours and he places his bubble here, this is where the fight, this is the battlegrounds. The octagon mm. has been made. And what it means is if their Winston jumps onto us, it's really difficult for our Lucio to boop their Winston back and speed alarm and himself away to be out of distance of the EMP to the point where we can like consistently counter it, right? And what you saw in the first was that all of their EMPs, because they were jumping first, Astro couldn't outplay the beats. And people were saying, oh, Astro's beats look funky. That was why. And at the same time, it's really hard for Hisu to get EMPs if the fight is on top of us, because he's going to EMP their tanks. And their supports, they can sit on the outside and just watch the EMP go, oh, hi, nice EMP beat. And that's how, in the first two maps, every single time they were countering ours. But when we dictated the tempo and we went first, we were doing it to them, right? Like, we jumped in on their team. We placed our bubble around their tank. Sado was doing a good enough job at not dying, like, not being too aggressive. And what that was, we were watching from Astro's POV a lot. He just watches it, and he just watches our tanks and their tanks fight. And he sees their sombrero. Oh, hey, guys, EMP. And Astro's like, okay beat every single time countered it and every single time and then it worked the exact same way for hisu where maps two and three all of his emps were getting value not because he was playing bad in the first games and better in the third but just our con our concept of game style changed the point where our beats and emps we started to win those alt fights and once we started to win those alt fights the game looked like a million times better for us i felt mm. no 100 i think the, the the one big question there that i that that kind of pops in my head is does it feel awkward or do you feel that the players feel awkward trying to take fights in maybe areas that haven't been drilled or haven't practiced? Do you feel like it's shoehorning it in or do you feel like gaining the 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 proactivity, gaining that extra space, you know, being able to dictate where the octagon is, even though it might not be in the most optimal place? Um, do you think that that's a better trade off or is there even a trade off? Am I completely off base on that? So I think we're not the only team who talks about this, but I think over the last two three weeks we've maybe made like a slightly more conscious decision to try and play with a bit more aggression because i think okay. one thing crusty said to carpe on team korea was that a slower methodical playstyle wins you regular season games but a high tempo aggressive playstyle wins you playoffs right and i think that that highlights why shock dominated playoffs whereas mm. like new york consistently have been like winning regular season games right because new york are known for that specific style um, and we definitely thought that we never, we were never a passive team, but we were never a full-on engaged team. Like especially when we played these rank comps, we were pretty methodical about the way we played. Like every, like if they have these ults, if they have these ults, this is going to sure. determine if we're going fast, slow, forward, back, upside down, mm. whatever it mm. ends up being, right? Um, and we've definitely over time we're trying to see if we can like slowly push the team into an aggressive play style. Um, but at the same time, like. We we actually the, the Winston stuff was something we talked a little bit about internally this week, like about 
if it's better to do both ways and like some people thought yes and some people thought no we also had a like we really tried to make anna work this week because we thought conceptually if we can get alarm on anna we can make a like a gap between the flex supports like the problem is like if it's okay not without being disrespectful again like if it's crimson versus alarm and they're both on moira the gap that they can have from their levels is there's only so much that moira allows you to do whereas if we could find a way to get either alarm or both of them on anna we felt that we could showcase the gap between like alarm and to be honest with you every mm. flex support on the planet like that was like that was an idea that we had try and go into it but it was one that we in practice, it just felt like Moira was the better hero. So we had like real, real problems trying to figure out like if if we wanted to play to our styles, which gave us the most win conditions in terms of making gaps between players, or if we just play what's best. Um, and then also the playstyle, we 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 weren't quite sure if our Winston could consistently jump in and survive against like a, mm. a Moira dive. But like that's why Carpe is our leader. That's why he's so important to us. Was he was the only person who recognized it yeah. in the middle of the game. This has to change or we lose. I remember going into the season and looking at like the big news report, you know, that ESPN put out like, oh, Carpe's, you know, three year contract. He's going to be the franchise man. We could see the skill, but hearing the intangible puts a lot more perspective on that move. And I think is, we, is said it, we said it to him. We said, like, if you're going to sign the contract and the size of contract that you are, we have mm -hmm. to have more out of you than just being the best player in the world, which is a ridiculous statement. But he has yeah, to. Yeah, sure. he ha he has to step up and and be a leader and 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 be able to to do stuff like that. And, and this season, he's been terrific at it. So, by saying that, do you do you mean that he kind of moved into that role? Is that something that he's been working on? He's never been a quiet player. Like he's never okay. been a player who goes with the flow. Um, and Carpe is like hyper competitive as a person, sure. but he's also like we had to. Yeah, we we definitely wanted them to be someone who who was like able to keep the team like positive and moving forward when things were getting bad. Like I think mm. sometimes in the past, Carp has been a player who, when things are going bad, he allows it to affect himself. Whereas this year he's grown as a player to the point where things are going bad. He's the one that says, uh -uh, not today. Like we're going to, we're going to win. And I think Astro had a similar moment against Atlanta. I don't even remember his boop on Elios, but when he came in for that map, because we were two Oh up and we w went to two, two, like the team morale was at like an all time low. Like everyone was really mm. quiet. We thought, ah, we, we fucked this game. It should have been won. And Astro came in because he was on the bench for maps three and four. And he said, no, 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 fucking just everyone just listen to me. I'm going to tell you how to play. We're going to like play aggressive. We're going to win this game. And he almost alone, not just with the boop, but with the energy he brought in sure, sure. turned that series. And we won game five purely because of Astro. And that's why you saw all of our players after the game tweet like, oh, thank you, Astro, for the carry. Thank you. This It wasn't because of the boop. It's because I think it's crazy to think about that. This 20 year old English guy has come into a team of five Koreans who've just lost a few games. And it's it's Carpe, it's Fury, it's all of these legends of the game. And he has the confidence to say, no, no, you guys just fucking listen to me and we're going to win this game. And he like he takes it over. And that's why I, I love the guy. Like That was the moment where, for me, I thought, okay, that this guy is not just a good main support. Like He's he's special, actually. Like, like the best, I think. It's, I, it's crazy to think that... I didn't know I could be sold more on the Fusion. The the power of winnable is yeah. actually nuts. <laughs> uh, like, it's, yeah. it's basically what it boils down to, right? Like, if you can make people buy into that and mm. then also click pretty well everything. onto heads. Yeah. yeah. Changes everything. Yeah. It's the magical word. It's the emotional side of sports is as important as anything you do 
in terms of just clicking heads. It it's so I can't yeah. overstate in like it'll be the same in every sport, but just the mentality and the attitude of believing you can beat this team changes everything. Yeah. That that kind of takes me back in that same way, like the 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 belief structure of winnable takes me back to like Vancouver's just seemingly like impossible fights that they would just turn around yeah. last season where they would just alt 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 and somehow they turn a two V six. And it's like, but how do you do that? It's like okay. now now it's like maybe a, the trust and the 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 camaraderie and, and that that belief of mm. yes, we can win this if we just execute nearly perfectly. Mm. It's that's insane. I think it's it's something that I hope we can start to build on in Overwatch and we really get a grasp of and, and build towards and not just, you know, good players, haha, playoff seed. We, we, we look at like the mentality of things and it's more emotional than it is necessarily, you know, 12 hours a day, scrim, 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 yeah. VOD review. You know, it's not the mechanics necessarily as much as it is, you know, emotion and morale, like you're saying. Yeah. And I think it's also fair to say this is where the organizational structure comes in. Sure. And allows yeah. these, these breeding grounds of just like that mentality to rise, right? Like it's, I'm currently watching um, the Jordan documentary on Netflix. Mm. And that was basically like one of the major points or just points of discussion where this really not that well liked GM said like something that was misinterpreted where it's like, he put the, the organization over the players, but what he meant was that championships are won with the organization, which right. I don't think is really a controversial statement at all, right? Like if, if the infrastructure is not there, like we saw what that can do, right? So um, yeah, I, I think that's, that's really good to see how just everything works in tandem. And also at a time of crisis, this kind of uh, like the, the ability to to make sense of the chaos of an organization. And that's always, it's always, for instance, like you pointed it out, Joe, in your piece um, about the Valiant, mm. like someone like Mike Schwartz, who just has like a sound head and can make the hard decisions and can bring in the guys when he believes into something and can pull like the, the parachute if things aren't going right. That's the, that's the type of stuff that maximizes the value that you, or the resources that you have, right? So um, from that point of view, it's also super important. And then that's also a guy I want to talk with eventually is the performance coach from uh, LA Gladiators, where we, uh, we talked about with yeah. with it with um, with Curry Shot how his mentality was kind of like so so harmful to him, and how um, this guy helped him to kind of break out of that mind frame and actually make him step up and mm. be more productive with less hours uh after the fact right so this 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 psychology it's it's almost like the software we're running on right and if mm. that's not efficient you can throw a lot of processing power at it but it's not going to work right you can yeah. have the best senses and everything but as long as the software sucks it's not going to help you that's, by the way, if I'm keeping count, the fourth metaphor we found outside of <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we're all over on it today. Um, 
chat we're we're getting to a point where we're going to be wrapping up pretty quick so if you have questions so, for christopher do we want to talk a little bit about um, we're definitely not done um so yes a I little bit to. more in depth about toronto and uh and shock um, like did you did you think possibly think this this series could be competitive in to that point <laughs> like is that something well, you, that you saw like, maybe Toyota did you scrim vancouver possibly uh, sorry, Toronto. We didn't scrim Toronto, but we scrimmed better? Shock a few times. So I, I can't comment too much. But you saw Chauvin's scrim, uh, his tweet, presumably about how like they'd had a rough week of scrims. Mm. So I mean, so we definitely like. I don't know. I'd, <laughs> it, I'd be lying if I said that I'd, I expected much more than a shock freeo because I feel like they're the type of team, regardless of how their week goes, when it comes to game day, I think they're gonna. And maybe like mm. these are the scenarios where if they had their leader which was sinatra maybe we've talked about leadership so much but we haven't necessarily yeah. spoken about how much wow. losing him could affect their ability to in big games to perform um regardless, so true, of his, yeah. his, regardless of his mechanics or not because i think to be honest with you rascal striker architect on a purely mechanical level i don't think they're necessarily going to miss sinatra i think they have enough yeah. talent in those other players yeah. where it's like oh no like we have to play striker and rascal this week how on earth are we going to be fine okay i think they're still going to be okay but it, it's super possible that if he is the leader which i think numerous people have come out and said he was that that that's going to be something where they, they they look to miss and in the book that i mentioned that's what happened a lot of the times to these sporting dynasties is when their captain retired or moved on they still had all their star players but their performance dropped so maybe that that's going to be the the factor which affects shock which people haven't spoke about enough mm. and i know like at least from a Perhaps more cerebral point of view, leadership is happening through Moth, uh, who sort of acts like a um, an extension. But like as as it was also described in the in, in captain's class, like for instance, the German World Cup team uh, in in when they won the World Cup in Brazil, they had a dual system where one of them was the the cap official captain. Uh, Philip Lahm. And then there was also a lot of emotional leader in, in um, Bastian Schweinsteiger, who was the type of guy, like, during, famously during the final, he, he took it on the chin, or like, I think it was the forehead, and he was legitimately bleeding, but he was still fighting and dragging the team uh, behind him, just with his fighting spirit. And I always felt like that duality of leadership, of just like, the strategical part and the intellectual part and then the emotional part and the ferocious and the 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 human winnable. element winnable <laughs> um that to me was more than sinatra and i wonder if anyone on that team cannot step up um, yeah like like in-game in leadership isn't it itself a skill, but that that's completely different, like you said, to emotional leadership. Like being able to track the ults and call the right plans and make us do the right things is important. But that's not the same as having someone who's gonna say, All right, listen guys, we can do better than this, or like or whatever it ends up being. Like that it re-energizes the team when it drops. They're two totally different things. And if you have this person who can do both of them, like sign him to a twenty year deal. <laughs> yeah. Twenty year dear deal confirmed. The longest uh, in Overwatch uh, League history. Overwatch League season 20 confirmed. 
we're here for 20 years, boys. Yep. And yeah. I, I'll also <laughs> say it's not surprising to me that a lot of these players that come off as or are emotional leaders in their prior life took that energy to, to, uh, to solo queue and were very toxic. I think that's just where the energy goes when you don't know how to frame that in a constructive way. Where you have mm. that passion in you that you cannot lock behind any filters that keep it. And I'm not talking about the worst toxicity, but sure, someone sure, that yeah. is like, if someone talks dumb stuff in solo queue, they are on you, right? Like that is coming out. And um, I think we, we saw a lot of these, these types. I, I mean, as far as we can go back to Overwatch, League, uh, Overwatch history, like for instance, someone like this was also Taimu. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. like for envious during these times, where it was like he was also the leader uh, for them to that degree. Um, like, of course, it doesn't have to come from that place. I, I, I guess there's also a more pure energy, if you want. Someone like a Sabiol becomes uh, someone comes like a mind. runner. Someone like a runner, most definitely. Yeah. Um, Again, but somebody I like who I think is emotional, not necessarily, you know, in-game leading, right? That that there's a, that that distinction, like you mentioned. I feel like they they still have that inherent spirit. They just have a sophisticated outlet and have looked inwards, like have self-reflected to the point, or mm -hmm. had great parents. Let's be honest, where that is coming out constructively very early on in life. Where they don't necessarily have to, um, to hone that as much, but actually can pe pull people behind them and are just like the the center of a group, so to speak, who make the plans, who like organize, who also realize when someone's off um, from a social standpoint. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think. This is also really hard to come by, and I imagine very hard to scout, right, Christopher? Like, almost impossible unless you hear, unless you've worked with him. Like, I knew about Astro's ability. Like, I knew I saw the potential him to be like that because I've worked with him across multiple teams before. But if I had mm. never had that luxury, I couldn't watch his gameplay and make any predictions about like how he is as a leader, as a person. Yeah. Even like we, we like for a lot of the time, for instance, um, Dogman was clowned maybe for his individual play in the beginning of season one. But I can also totally see how he has cont contributed, especially during the time where Baby Bay wasn't part of the starting roster, right? Mm. And it is that, that's that's a little bit of the problem of opacity of these qualities, right? Like where it's like, unless you're like, and that's why these comm checks also probably work pretty well in these moments of, um, of just excitement or like when a big play happens, just to get like a little glimpse of, okay, who's calling what here and who's calling the shots and who's, who's taking responsibility for all of this, right? Mm. And I honestly, I, I was thinking about this today. I would love to see moments like these in positions of defeat and how these leaders deal with those situations and what they say to their team then um and yeah i think these are the important stories that 
sports also needs to tell to a point because it enriches the audience's understanding experience and it's so highly applicable to practically every human interaction you do like everyone works in in a team somehow somewhere right yeah and to be able to sort of like by osmosis get an idea what these personalities are and also let's be honest like some of it is just inherent to their nature it's like mother nature gave them the the, the drive to be that person to a degree very early on or they were guided into it or whatever but i think it's really hard to teach someone to be more like this if there wasn't already uh, an inclination to towards that point right like there's they're very timid players that really enjoy being led and i think to a certain point people will also find that while we talk a lot about freedom and freedom of choice and whatnot, that people actually also enjoy someone else taking the reins and you having course, the yeah. capacity to do other things and focus and temporarily give the responsibility to someone else who believes that you can do it to a degree, right? Mm -hmm. But it's, it's hard to tell these stories in a in a believable and authentic way because you probably don't want to give away comps um not too I, much right i don't know if i would care if teams saw comps i don't think teams i think the league doesn't want to uh, whenever there's com checks our team never it's only the stuff they talk about pre-game you never hear any in-game comms because it's always too much swearing and stuff um mm. I don't know if it's necessarily PG, but I would, yeah, I think so too. I think that you're right. Like the, the, the behind the scenes, like of teams when they win and they lose and the comms behind them, or like I'd love for them to go back and capture the moment where Carpe flicks the switch or when Astro flicks the switch. Like that's to me, if there's ever a documentary that's about sports and actually has behind the scenes and locker room stuff, I've seen it. I'll, I'll watch it all. I'm watching the Jordan documentary. I don't care about basketball. I don't understand it, but oh, yeah. I get to see how the greatest minds work behind the scenes. That's so interesting to mm -hmm. me. It's more interesting yeah. than any basketball game in could be without even a shadow of a doubt. And yeah, that's why I think the True Sight, that fit, when I watched that first True Sight documentary, the one not of this year, but the one before, I was mm -hmm. blown away by it. It was like one of the most interesting hours of my life. To see like how these these two leaders had dragged the team with all the history like of like the the ragtag nature of like building the roster or wherever it ended up being and like all of the failures they had in their career but how their emotional leadership dragged them in the biggest stage in in esports to a victory was was an unbelievable watch and i think that yeah i think it's the most interesting aspect of, of sports and esports i'd love it if we you know not to completely yoink true sight from dota but if we could get something like that for, you know, maybe even last year's final. Yeah. Um, and hopefully this year's, you know, knock on wood. Um, you know, that would be that would be some some incredible content. Yeah. Yeah. The problem is like the the good content has to be the unfiltered. Yes. And then when those moments are happening, people don't want to be filmed. You know, you almost have sure. to film people when they don't want to be filmed to get actual content, which is like truly worth watching. Yep. If you only film people when they're ready, like we are now to be on a screen, you don't, you don't necessarily get to see like the truth behind it, you know, yep. but when, when you yeah. film people at their worst and, and, and even if they don't want to, they let the cameras roll. That's when it's like truly interesting. You get, you get the full the, picture, you get the bad, the good, 
you know, and everything yeah. in between. That's yeah. And that's also why I like the the little halftime talk that Uprising had. Yeah, yeah. Where it was so interesting and so powerful to me. Where it was like, have you seen that? Like they they had a they little on Twitter, right? No, no. They actually during the live broadcast. So oh, they, they had from it, the yeah. from the last week. They sent in a recording of what happened when they were 2-0 down okay. and talking about the strategies and just like, I think they were sitting on a couch and it's just like you're, you're, you're watching this and you realize, okay, this is currently the worst team in the Overwatch League and they're already 2-0 down. This is, this is the lowest point right now and you're being part of it and it, that to a degree, large degree feels powerful as a message to just and of course i would never force teams to give up that information and that privacy but if you're willing or able to submit that to the overwatch league i think it adds so much to the experience and just like seeing the faces of the player and what it means it's it's important like even if you don't understand Overwatch, it's the same thing about like watching the documentaries and whatnot. It is about the human experience and just like getting an idea that yeah, that this matters, right? Like, it's a it's about something. It really doesn't like esports is the vehicle that it comes riding in on, but like whatever is inside that load of like like this payload mm-hmm. is like. That's that's the that's the juice. That's the stuff you want to bring to people. Yep. And if you can do it via video games, that is engaging. That's the the sugar for the medicine. That's that's the stuff, right? Like that. That is, I think, the message. And if we can do that, oh, of course, like goof off. And I enjoy slideshow and Bren as much as the next guy casting, especially like the the toilet bowl matches. Mm-hmm. But to to then also have this serious part because it is serious. Like it's the life. Of yeah. the the best parts of the life, the most productive, the most uh, influential on the 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 future of their their life of young adults, um, together very often like locked into a house, um, and to just like be part of that intimate moment of just like people really really trying. When we're being honest, that many people don't try to that extent. It's it's such a powerful subliminal message that i think if we if we can transport that to to people i don't think we ever have to care about viewers again like yeah. that's that's where they come you, it, you viewers. people don't need to understand overwatch then right if you start to understand the importance and the difference between a week when you win and a week when you lose if you understand how it affects every single thing you do for a, a week the games matter so much more. Like if you can actually, you have no idea the difference between going to sleep and a night after beating Dallas and a night after losing to Dallas. It, it, everything is different. Like the, the, my day off right now, it's a, it's a lovely day. It doesn't even matter what I do or I don't do. I'm going to be in a good mood because yesterday, you know, mm-hmm. there's, yeah. I remember when we lost playoffs last year and we we truly done everything we could to to win that Shanghai match. Like I, I every hour of every day for like three or four weeks in a row, we done. And then to come away. And to lose is truly one of the like the weirdest and the worst feelings you can ever have. To actually try your absolute hardest and not be good enough is is pretty horrific. But then when it mm. works the opposite way, it's a a feeling that most people I think don't 
don't get to experience on a regular basis. And that's what's so good about competition is because we do every week. If we've actually worked hard, we get we get we get to experience the spectrum of emotions on a level where normal people can only like get it here. Yeah. And our job yeah. allows us to experience at either spectrum. Hundred hmm. percent. Dang, this has been a a roller coaster of a show so far. I love it. The end, didn't it. I love it. I know. I love it. <laughs> Um, we, we do have some questions, um, from chat that are just kind of a smattering of, of different ones, um, that I think we're going to lay on you. And then, you know, Yiska, Joe, of course, if you have any other questions, just, mm-hmm. um, pop them in. Uh, this one's from Picasso. Um, what can you tell us about, um, determining when we see Poco versus when we see Fury? <laughs> like... Uh, this happens all like we got this question like eight times picasso was the uh, first to ask it but yeah uh so so with with the we we are probably a team that uh, we have probably done the best job of roster management of any team in the league i would say i think uh, almost of our all of our pieces have played and almost all of them have played like relatively substantially right um chips have been the obvious exclusion um <laughs> And I think with with at least the four DPS, and I think with Boombox too, we now have a role where we understand if the hero bands and the comps are a certain way, these guys are going to play. But with Poco and Fury, they are both so good at every single hero. Their attitudes are both so good. They both work so hard. There isn't a logical reason to choose between them, truthfully. It's actually that difficult. And and we're kind of just in a situation where we just want both of them to play because it's it's not fair on the other one. And we're in a mm. situation now where we don't lose any performance value if Poco plays or if Fury plays. I think they might be the two best off tanks in the league. Like I think you throw Choyoban into that mix, and I, like I truly think that between Choyoban and, and Fury Poco, I think you have the three best off tanks in the league. And it's it's unfair that we're hoarding two of them. And it's a really <laughs> difficult thing to do as coaches is to find ways to play them both. Mm. Um, because you I, you can't bench Fury for the season for no reason. You can't bench Poco for the season uh, for no reason. And and there's no significant hero pool problems. Like both of them play everything at an unbelievably elite level. Like it's the one where we haven't got what we would consider a logical solution. And I see it sometimes on Reddit. I'm like, oh, so it seems like Fusion are using yeah. Fury for this reason, and Poco has this role of the team. And I'm like, like yeah, that nope. sounds no. We we just Oh, here's the coin. All right. Like, <laughs> it, it really is that simple. It's, it's really difficult. Like it's, I, I can't think of a solution which doesn't feel unfair to somebody. That isn't the one we're doing right now. Totally. And the, the, the big theme I think with this podcast has been like the management of morale. So in that same light, how do you take the person or the flex tank that isn't playing and keep them bought in? What, what is, what is the, the secret sauce with that? Well, it's 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 super important that they know if they're not playing this week, that doesn't reflect that they're not going to get to play this week, mm-hmm. uh, the next week, sorry. And it's really what's what's good about most people on our team is they they see that. So right now it's it's close to fifty fifty who's played this far in the season. I think Poco had the vast majority of the start, and then Fury's sure. had the most recent games. So they're pretty close to fifty fifty. And I think it's really important that both of them can hand on heart say, okay, I've had a significant reason why my team is first place in the standings. And if they can do that, 
then they're going to be bought in. They're okay to sit out a week because they realize, like, they're both mature enough to realize, well, well Fury should also be playing. Like, they don't sure. watch each other in scrims and be like, that guy's bad. Like, when Poco watches Fury, he obviously watches him and is like, okay, yeah, this guy's really fucking good, and obviously vice versa. Um, so, like, that's the important thing to do is to have them both understanding mm. that they were both incredibly important into our success this far into the season. And that's who are you, Joe. Are you hearing this? Yeah. <laughs> um, fair, 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 fair. All right, next one. This one's from Eric. He asks, uh, Philly will probably get a draft. Um, we'll get to draft a tournament opponent for the first round. Any Ooh. early ideas on who you might want to play? We were very, we've been talking about it this week, but we have genuinely been very seriously considering just picking Shock straight away as like a, is a is like a the moxie a pick a statement of intent you know to like to go out there and like prove um, we ain't we ain't scared of you like we're gonna prove we're the top dogs but i don't know if we've come i don't know i don't know who's gonna end up making that decision sure, sure, sure. i don't know if that person it's easy for me just to say oh let's do it that'll be that'll be sick to do and then obviously the logical conclusion is to pick someone else um mm -hmm. i'd love to do it but i uh I'm not gonna... How would it how would it influence your mental if you were to fall short then? It's a huge I mean you're playing the the best team, right? It's like losing to shock isn't necessarily something that can affect your mental, but knowing that we we finished quarterfinals because <laughs> we were confident we're gonna do more. Right. So maybe like maybe the upsides don't don't outweigh the downsides. Fair enough. I, I think love that that's answer. the the great part about these systems where you give the teams the chance to be able to do something like that to kind of not you know play for the content but you know if, if that yeah. kind of sends the message to the, the community the best way like you give them the chance to be able to make those decisions you give them some sort of agency to say you know what i am going to make a statement of intent i want to play the best team and i want to show everybody that we're the best team in the world and then you go out there and you do it you cruise to the final. Granted, you know, maybe the final then isn't that interesting, but that's the type of stuff that really, again, to, to Yiska's point, that's that kind of, you know, human element that gets people bought in. That's that excitement factor. That's that, that's what, that's what we need. And I'm glad that this is a test run for more. So hopefully we get more of this. I also think so. Um, someone said in chat that if uh, the shock beat Atlanta, the shock will also, um, they might not be. They might not, they be, might not be, be pickable. Yeah, right. But still, it's good so, to know. Like, if, yeah. if you can pick your opponent right now, you're like, give a shock. I love that. I mean, I can tell you, like, we've spoke about, like, the winnable mentality. I can tell you with hand on heart right now that within the, the Philadelphia Fusion, if you put us against the shock tomorrow, we truly hand on heart believe we can beat them and we will beat mm -hmm. them, you know? Like, that's, like, the confidence and, and maturity we have, like, right now like there's there, there is no fear like i've said that they're good and to beat the, to be the best we've got to beat the best but we 100 percent without a shadow of doubt right now in our position where we believe we can do that great love it um this one's from atomic skull um and uh, this is kind of this is an interesting one um one of your uh fellow coaches moby dick we don't hear a lot about them uh, what can you tell us about them, um, about the type of person they are, what they kind of bring to the coaching staff? Uh, just shed a little insight on that. Yes. So Moby does the vast majority of the individual coaching, obviously. 
Well, he, just, he, he doesn't only work with Korean players, he works with Western players too. Like his, he's always doing individual coaching and KDG is always doing team coaching. And I kind of like float around. Like sometimes if there's a week where we have, we're playing like two different archetypes, there was a week where I took over team coaching for one comp and he did team coaching of the other comp. Mm-hmm. And it allowed us like, I didn't even watch the scrims where we weren't playing my comps. You know, I just focused on what my job was and, and KDG did his. And then sometimes if like this week we only played one comp, so I like fell back into individual coaching with, with Sado or whatever it was this week. Um, but Moby, like as a person, is like super kind natures. He's he's like extremely influential with within the within the Koreans. Like he's a he's like a super 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 positive person. Like he's not he's not necessarily the the guy that like gets angry with everybody. But like like at halftime yesterday, like Hizu was obviously like his EMPs weren't getting value, and he was feeling the pressure a little bit. And Moby was like a really significant factor in arm around the shoulder and like being able to like calm him down and be like, oh, you're you're okay, mm. you're okay. So he's like extremely good at that. Interesting. I like that. Different side, yeah. Um, Joe, did you see any other questions from the chat that I missed? Um, that um, were good? just some general hero pool stuff that I think we've we've definitely talked about. Um, if you have any more, get them in there. Another kind of uh, pseudo same question, but not same question. Um, I know that you've you know definitely worked with KDG in the past. Could you kind of give a same you know a similar description of you know how KDG's been with this team? Um, maybe maybe where he's grown or what he's done in particular to you know really boost this team up to being you know arguably i'd say the the best team at least in north america and at least in the western half of the the world so kdg is one of i think in esports you hear it a lot i read did you ever read the thing double lift said ages ago or like recently about like the problem with coaching in league of legends is the players are all like smarter than the coaches at the game yeah, yeah. and that's like a super consistent problem in like a lot of games and kdg is like one of the the few coaches who I can hand on heart says understands and works harder at Overwatch Fury than than players and genuinely understands the game better. So it's really nice for us to go into a coaching system where this year we have like the the head coach is genuinely like an Overwatch encyclopedia. Like he's so unbelievably smart at how how Overwatch needs to be played. And that's like that's that's really important for players to know that the person that's like calling the shots is spending every single second of the day thinking about it. Like the man, mm. I've said it before, but the man's work ethic is is truly on a level which I I'm not convinced is is humanly possible. Like how he only does Overwatch. Like he watches, he, he goes through the entire day of scrims and then he watches every single minute of every single vod back numerous times, right? And like you could, I could quiz him and say Thursday at three p.m. What was the team fight? And he'll be able to tell me because he knows it inside and out. And I think that like that's one really important factor in coaching. That that sometimes and what we've spoke about this podcast gets overlooked is just how much he understands overwatch which obviously mm. should sound obvious but he's really important then he's also he's a bit older and he's definitely i don't want to say he's definitely someone that the players are scared if they're misbehaving to get on the wrong side of which sometimes is a bad thing but is a really 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 important thing in coaching like mm. what's good about our coaching system is we have like I don't want to say that he's like the bad cop and Moby's the good cop or whatever it ends up being, but sure, we have sure. relationships within the coaching staff where if, if players need a hug, we have people who are really good at that. And if players aren't working as hard as they need to be, he's good at telling them that. And it's not, he doesn't do it all the time. Like he's nine, nice nine times out of 10, but he has the ability, if you're not like doing your job, he has the ability to tell you that, which as a coach is as important as like, is anything that, that needs to be done. Like I think if you look at all great coaches across all sports, they all have the ability when the team isn't at 100% to tell them and, and to get the best out of them. That's 
that's also a thing that I remember from my, um, like we had to do mandatory military service. And one of the, the best um, leaders that I probably will ever have in my life, I remember him saying that a lot, that a lot of people just think that being unpredictable is somehow like a good quality, but it couldn't be a worse quality for a leader. Because you want to, everyone in the group needs to understand this is the border. And if you step over every single time, you will get clapped for that. That's, that's the, that's the barrier. If X does this, you get clapped. If Y does the same thing, you get clapped for it. Right. And just be in that regard, very consistent and fair. Right. But like, that's, that's basically how, where respect and like consistency comes from and that that always stuck with me just to think yeah okay like having consistent rules because everyone's like you know like how everyone's like a little death note edge boy where it's like oh i want to be unpredictable and different yeah no it's it's a terrible quality for a leader <laughs> sure one of the reasons where we've continued to win is because KDG refuses to let us like get overconfident or to slack off. Like every week, he he pushes us as hard as the week before, and it's like we, there's no complacency allowed on our team. Like he still refuses. He doesn't believe that we're going to win the game next weekend. He's going to like make us win the game next weekend. Like there's no such thing as like taking his his foot off the pedal, and and that's like mm -hmm. one of the reasons like why our season's been so good so far. Interesting. Um. I think that's it is that it i think so i think it's been an absolute banger it has been easily a one of my favorites yeah for sure uh chat the whole time has been like can can we just have christopher on every week please thank you i would do it you know i would do it <laughs> boy you'd be careful We'd love to have you yeah seriously would um yeah uh thank you everybody in chat for celebrating 100 episodes uh with us uh we appreciate you all so freaking much um hope you enjoyed this uh special one um christopher big thank you uh to you for hanging out with us and um you know uh congrats on the first half or i guess we're a little bit over halfway of the about halfway yeah yeah the a really successful first half of the season and hopefully we get to see you in you know playoffs and grand finals at the end of it and you know get to Thank hoist that trophy and yeah it'd be great um so uh before we get out of here christopher for you um what any shout outs um message to the fans you know uh talk about where people can find you if you want them to find you uh that kind of stuff follow you and all that good stuff I literally don't tweet, so so don't worry. If you want to follow me on Twitter, feel free, but you won't get anything good out of it because I <laughs> I won't tweet. Just uh, yeah, just keep keep supporting Fusion. Like the, there's nothing else I I want from people really. Cool, will do. I uh maybe maybe I can finally. I've I've been burned buying coaches jerseys in the past because Curry shot. As soon as I bought mine, he left. he left. Yeah, you know, and so. I don't know. Do we get a Christopher jersey? Is that what we do? We'll see. Tune in next time. We'll see if we've got one. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's one of those. Um, oh, yeah. We uh, we should ask this. Are we, when, when, when are we going to see Chips on yeah, the Overwatch you know, League? Thinking, you dodged it. What, what are we going to get? <laughs> when are we going to get podcast about a Chips question? Yeah. When are we going to see Chips on the Overwatch League stage? 
Well, you saw. You, did anyone see my interview with Zoe yesterday? Yep, yep. I so think. I, uh, I told we, everybody. I told everybody. We we laid. We de he definitely laid down some intent. Apparently, next week will be chips a week. All right. And it's against the Titans, so. Awesome. We'll we'll see. We'll see. Great. All right. I look forward to it. Um, let's close and get out of here. Big thank you to our patron producers. <gasps> Battle Crab, Pin, Lotion, Charlie L, Audio Compass, Porkchop, Sammy, Kasha67, Kuchikopi, Shar, Picasso, Nathan, Your Misery, and Hunter Tane. I uh, appreciate you all a ton. All of our patrons, all of the subs. A uh, big thank you to Pin to Paper, who gifted 10 subs during the show. Mm. Uh, we appreciate you a ton, Pin. Thank you so much. Um, and big thank you to Hunter Tane, who is brand new patron and a patron producer. So I uh, appreciate uh, all of you for doing that. If you like the show and want to support, there's three great free, or there's multiple ways to do that. Number one, subscribe right here at twitch.tv slash kicktripod. We record Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays at noon. Fridays being Spike Drop or Valorant Podcast. Uh, second thing, uh, follow twitch.tv slash kicktripod or come in for any of the live shows. We're really close to partner. And uh, we're trying to do that last push so we can get partner on the channel, get some extra emotes because the new emotes are live and people really like them and we'd like to make more of them. Um, from there, it is uh, Patreon, patreon.com slash tactical crouch is where you can go for that. And if you want to do something for free besides lurking um, on the live shows is uh, leave us a five-star iTunes review and we'll uh, thank you on the next show. So... Uh, that's it. Uh, Joe, shout outs for the week. Where can people find you? Uh, as usual, you can find me everywhere on the socials at Volamel. That's V-O-L-A-M-E-L. Not entirely too sure what we're doing for Overwatch this week, but definitely Overwatch content coming. Couple ideas tossed around in my head at the moment. Going to be doing a profile and review of one of the teams in Valorant that I think is definitely one of the more promising ones. So be on the lookout for that. And uh, yeah, just tune in for Wednesday when we look at week 15's matches. And then on Friday when we uh, we dive more into Valorant with uh, Spike Drop. I think it's episode seven-ish. So yeah, six. tune in for that. And uh, six was close, was close. But yeah, just uh, thanks for the support, everybody. It's been, a, it's been a fun and wild ride with the podcast. And uh, cheers to, uh, to 100 more. Yiska, what about you, man? Shout outs for the week. Where can people find you? <laughs> Um, yeah, I just wrote a, or released a piece like an hour before the show, and it's about how the oh, how sports history is really not that kind to the first losers, so the people that lose finals. But there are specific. Uh, there's a specific roster that comes with the baggage of history of its ownership that, despite losing the Apex Season 3 Finals, they are now incredibly influential. All, Almost all of them are elite, considered elite players now. Of course, I'm talking about Kongdu. And I kind of looked at that development, how we're now in 2020, almost three years after the final, and almost all of their uh, opponents are now gone, other than Toby. And how still Condu Panthera around the players like Rascal, Birdring, Void, Fissure, uh, and Luffy are still at the upper echelons of Overwatch and how potentially they might have a hand in winning 
all consecutive Overwatch titles if Shanghai was to do it this season. With Bertrand doing it the first season, Rascal doing it the second. So, dope storyline that developed there, I think. Um, and, uh, yeah, at GG Recon to read cool. that. All right. Well, there you have it. Chat, thank you all so much. Um, we'll be back after the music for post-show to hang out. Um, and uh, we thank you all for being here. hope you enjoyed this episode 100. And uh, we will see you guys next time. <laughs>